Yo, 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 yo. There we go. There we go. What up, what up, what up? The Real Coach JB here live on this Thirsty Thursday. We got NFL longtime vets, Shane Graham, TJ Lang joining me, plus Steve Kimmel and Matt McChesney will join me later on. We're going to talk about our best O-linemen, plus the top 20 running backs of all time. Can't wait to dive into that. Lots to discuss, lots to get into. Uh, appreciate everybody joining me this morning on this fine Thursday. We got a lot to discuss. It should be a good one. Uh, let's start off with a, uh, with a bang quote of the day. As you always know, uh, this show is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, and get you 50% off welcome bonus. NBA All-Star Weekend. Major League Baseball is going into spring training. The hockey's coming down to a wire to the end. Uh, NHL playoffs coming soon. Bet online is where the game starts. Plus, candidate just got my new dips. Got this uh, pineapple express. Make sure you guys head on over to CanadipsCBD.com. Use the promo code COACHJB, all caps. Gets you 50% off and free shipping. So don't forget CanadipCBD.com, promo code CoachJB. I'm in the running for some shit. Make sure you guys hook your boy up and go grab some. If you're not a member of the Discord, go make sure you are. Slap Nation, Full Effect, Coaches Crew, Discord. Come join and chop it up with us on an everyday basis. Quote of the day to get you guys started. If you stumble, make it part of the fucking dance. A lot of you guys don't understand. A lot of you guys fucking fall on your face and then just take it. And then you fucking look like a fucking idiot. Get your ass up. Act like it was supposed to happen and make it part of the dance. If you stumble, make it part of the dance. Um, Contrary to belief, brought to you by CandidateCBD.com. Stand for what is right, even if it means standing alone. Contrary to belief. That's why so many motherfuckers don't like what I say. Because I don't care if you believe it or not. I don't care if you're a friend or a family or a foe. I'm going to say it right. I've been say I've told people in my family they are wrong. And I've told a motherfucker I never met in my life they were right. And you know what that does? It, you get butt hurt people, man. You get butt hurt people. Just telling you. Stand for what's right, even if you stand alone. Your first thought in the morning should be, thank you. That's just real talk, man, especially going on right now. Contrary to belief, be your fucking self. An original is worth more than a fucking copy. I will always be myself. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm never going to be a fucking copy. I'll tell you that much. I I wish we had more guys like me, Uh, more women and men alike. we got a lot to discuss today, a lot to unpack. Shane Graham joins us here at the first early part of this show. TJ Lang will join us in the second hour. Steve Kim and Matt McChesney in the third. Uh, we got a lot to break down, man. Uh, the gas stove people. Everybody wants a gas stove. Um, holy shit, man. You want to get rid of the gas stove. We want electric stoves. Get the fuck out of here. Why do I want an electric stove? I'll be damned if I cook on an electric stove. But I'm tripping on where you guys all are right now. Where are all the electric stove people at now? 
since the Ohio, Tucson, Houston chemical spill. That's what's funny to me. All you motherfuckers worried about the, oh my God, the atmosphere. We got to go to electric stoves. Got to get rid of gas. I ain't heard not one of you motherfuckers come out and talk about the goddamn chemical spills. Not a one of you. It's fucking comical. It is comical. So I am just so confused as to why I haven't heard anything from the electric stove people, man. Where's the electric stove folks? (laughs) Oh my gosh, dog. I'm just like, oh man, it's unbelievable. Um, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. It's crazy to me. It's how the irony, man, the irony um, is is uh, very funny to me. Um, let me tap this in, get this going. Um, it's crazy to me. Part of the script, huh? Uh, a helicopter falls from the sky. I don't know if you saw it. Um, pretty fucked up, too. Helicopter right there. Damn. Look at that shit. In Alabama. Helicopter just fell from the sky. No one's came out and talked about it. Why it fell. Nobody knows. Uh and then and then a meteor strikes Houston. Like, whew, wait up, dog. What is going on? I thought we 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 monitored incoming objects. I don't believe anybody in the Houston, greater Houston area got a notification that they were gonna get hit with a meteorite uh last night. Sean Salisbury and I were doing last chance Q, go check it out. And right during the show is when a meteorite hit. Um Cause Sean and I text each other during the show. It was like, he's, I guess people heard a boom and a sonic boom for the breaking the sound barrier. The meteorite came into the atmosphere. Nobody got wind of it. Nobody was told about it. We got a lot of funny shit. Apparently a meteor struck over Paris, France, apparently too, the night before. Um, I don't know, man. It seems like some weird shit's going on in the, in the world right now. Uh, Weird shit is going on right now. I'm just going to tell you. We don't know what's happening. The Kansas City Chiefs celebrate their Super Bowl. Uh, Patrick Mahomes gets fucked up. Oh! <laughs> uh, you know what? I I am all for getting fucked up. If you win something that ev- no one else said you could do or that everyone else said you could not do, and I, I'd be hyped up too, man. I'd be I'd be excited as hell too, man, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not mad at all. I love it. Um, this show is brought to you by CandidateCBD.com. Make sure you pound the like button. Uh, my main man, Shane Graham, longtime 12-year NFL vet. Um, he's going to be joining me right now. I'm going to pull up his... Uh, his info on the ticker below. Make sure you guys follow. Uh, make sure you guys follow Shane. He does some great things right now for the youth. Um, going around and uh, 
He's doing his own thing called Elite Winning Solutions. Make sure you guys go over there and check his website out, EliteWinningSolutions.com. Uh, he's doing some great stuff. Uh, so I'm going to put it on the ticker below. And without further ado, my main man, Shane Graham. Shane, what up, man? How you doing, brother? How's it going? Man, it's good, man. It's good hanging out. Man, yesterday was the, I believe, the worst day on uh, on the technological side of things I've ever had. Yeah. The, oh, you were the only one, man. I had two other guys. It, it, my my own shit froze and, and, and fucking just locked out. Like, it was just a fucked up day. But yesterday would have been every DFO and video coordinator's nightmare. That's a hell of a way to put it. You ain't lying. JB would have been motherfucking the shit out of a bunch of GAs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit, man. I was like, God damn. GAs uh, would have been in the back room crying. Man, they don't pay me enough for this. <laughs> it's free. I only get a dorm. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, so what's going on? What, what's going on lately, man? You uh, you watched Super Bowl? I did. I did, yeah. Um, man, I'm down in Birmingham, Alabama. Um I'm, I'm I'm staying at an Airbnb down here, and I'm doing uh, some training where uh, I'm training a bunch of transfer portal kids that don't have a home at the moment. Really? Because yeah, because those guys, you know, you know what that that uh, that abyss of of a place can be for some of these guys. You know, some of them it's unfortunate circumstances, and and I get it. You know, but for a lot of a lot of guys, it's you know, they don't feel they're getting their, their opportunities or whatever. And, and it's tough. And, and, and you try not to judge them for it because like I said, circumstances happen to some people. I get it. But the, the culture of, of, of the transfer portal has put a lot of kids out there with no longer being on a team anymore. So trying to help guys out, trying to get them, you know, developed physically. Hey, and James, a solution. Go to fucking JUCO. I mean, and, and that is that is something we have a recruiting coordinator within the company that actually does a lot of the connections to connect guys to places. And JUCO is one of the things that we have to tell guys you have to be willing to accept that because you see that guys can be successful in life and in sports, even to the NFL, by going that route. And it's just a matter of not letting your ego be too big for your reality. Let me ask you this though. You're dealing with that. That's a good, that's a hell of a way to intro the show. Cause I, I, I've been, I was on a barstool the other day on unnecessary roughness and, and they asked me this thing and they're like, what's happened? And I go, what, well, in my opinion, from what I know and people I talk to and what I've seen out here in California, Juco system and what I've been seeing just pure, purely just based on talent. Um, Juco's pretty much imploded over the last few years, especially with NIL and transfer portal combined juco's don't have the resources plus what you just said they're sitting there in the portal instead of going to juco which used to be the college football portal um yeah. it, it, i guess in layman's terms juco was the juco transfer portal was juco before and yeah. then they go back d1 you know how we used to do but so what is your thought now is, is it can juco survive with kids sitting in the portal and not going to juco and 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 because JUCO is gonna be a it's a resource the D1s like to have, but at the same time, I think the D1s need to help out the JUCOs and say, look, if we want to keep them alive and keep our keep our feeding systems, high schools are yeah. struggling right now too, Shane, because they're not recruiting high school like we used to do either because of the portal. 
I mean, I, I got 23s right now banging my door down on Twitter trying to help, you know, trying to get me to help them get a home. And so many of these colleges are just, you know, they're telling them, yes, if, if this happens and this happens, we'll take you. And then all of a sudden they take a transfer. So it's, it's affecting both. So when Man, do the if, transfers run out is my question, because I, I don't see, uh, you know, uh, the freshman transfer portal kids to me, that should be stopped. Like the freshman, you need to toughen your skin. Yeah, stay, at least yeah. stay somewhere for a fucking season. But I, the guys that are going to be like, when does the portal run out of portal kids? Is my question. Like, unless because now they changed the rule a little bit, right? They changed it back to a little bit of what it used to be. But the portal eventually will have to go back. Colleges will have to go back to high school and JUCO. And I'm afraid it's going to be too late, and you're going to be trying to grab a bunch of emptiness. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, honestly, you got to slow down the entryway, you know, you build a wall. I don't know. You got to do something. You got to do something to keep so many people pouring in because when, um, when you have so much influx into that portal, it, it's breeding the attitude that, Oh, everything's not perfect here. I'll just go in the portal and I'll end up somewhere. And and it doesn't always end up that way. And, and unfortunately, uh, there are a lot of those freshmen that don't see, they don't get the notoriety that they were promised when they were recruited. And, and you and I know, like, it, it takes time to develop. Some of your biggest stars in the NFL were not true freshman starters. They were not freshman starters. Nobody in Alabama. Yeah, th those guys develop, they mature. And then they grow into their spot where they're going to go. And, and even, you know, just to look at the special team side of it, if players are willing to develop on offense and defense while busting their ass on special teams, they're only setting the mold that they're going to find in the NFL, that it's going to be the same way there. Only it's, you don't get to transfer. They just fire your ass. Let me ask you this. There's 130, what, two Division One playing football schools, I think? 131, 133? 30-something, yeah. All right, so there's 130-plus Division One schools. Do you have a number right now on transfer portal kids right now in the portal, D1? What, 5,000? Oh, man, I, I, I don't know. I, I miss D1, I'm talking. No idea. Uh, I, 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 think, I, I don't know either anymore. It, it was it – was, uh, it was a uh, fuck. It was you know total football alone. All the levels. It was over ten k two yeah. months ago, two months ago. So I don't yeah. know what it is now, but but like just Division One. If there's 131 Division One playing football schools, and let's say there's 25, let's just say there's 2,500 D one football players in the portal right now. Like, do you talk to them about like, hey man, the numbers ain't gonna add up. The 131 D ones would have to take 20 of you each. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It ain't and, and and I try to have those conversations and I mentor guys. And you know what? There there are those guys that understand that that come to the realization of, of hindsight is 2020. And, you know, we all get hit with that sometimes. But, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment, when guys are making emotional decisions, that's usually when the worst decisions are made is when you're in your emotions and your feels. And, you know, even um, you know, even like there's guys that I train that are free agents or, you know, trying to make it in the pro level. 
And there are guys that have turned down opportunities in lower level leagues. And I'm like, you can't turn down any opportunity. I mean, unless, unless I, I look at that guy and I just realize that uh, they are absolutely like better than a lot of these guys in the NFL, I'll be like, hey, maybe you should hold out. But unfortunately, there's not always that that sense of self that it places itself in reality. And, and that's the same thing with the guys that, you know, someone tells them, hey, if you go here, look at their depth chart, see where you're going to fall on that depth chart. Oh, no, no, I'm going to beat them out. I'm going to beat them out. And then you get there and then you don't make the depth chart where you want. And you're like, oh, they're sleeping on me or whatever, you know, and then, well, I'm going to transfer because whatever. And, and, and it's just this, you know, a lot of it is, is, is I believe in having confidence, but your confidence has to be in the work and the preparation you do. It can't be manipulated into I'm the best, you know, everyone thinks they're the goat and it's just not the case. There's, there, there can only be one, right? Everybody can't be the goat. Let me ask you this. You, you're dealing with these kids right now. A good topic. I, I wasn't even having this on my mind to talk about, but I'm, I want to know. So what is the single most determining factor for these kids to enter the portal right now, in your opinion? I have my own opinions. I have my own done my own research. Like to me, to me, the single most the number one reason, and this is not talked about enough, and we may have talked about it last time you were on this show is peer pressure. I think that the two five-star kids that both grew up together playing seven-on-seven, one's in, uh, you know, Atlanta, the other kids across the way in in Atlanta, two different schools, but they're homies, they kick it, they're cool, they're both five-stars. One goes to Alabama, the other one goes to LSU. The kid actually plays at Bama as a freshman. The kid at LSU is asked to redshirt, and the Twitter folks blow him up. Oh, you, you're not even playing at, at, at LSU. You're supposed to be the guy. And peer pressure, social media has made these kids transfer as the single m- number one reason why. Because they're handling, they can't take the social media scrutiny of peer pressure folks who are just a bunch of slapdicks on Twitter who know nothing. Um, yeah. And then the second determining factor to me is the lack of research prior to signing. So you're not actually doing enough due diligence as either the single mother in the home, the father and the mother of the home, or the kid in general is only liking what the what the school has to offer as far as jersey colors like Oregon or or what the NIL comes what brings what what's the NIL bring or but they don't care what the head coach really really truly spoke to them about in their home uh, during the recruiting process and. I think those two are the biggest determining yeah. factors. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with that because two things, two things, even, even outside of football or sports in general, if you were to look at a college brochure 30, 40 years ago, you open up that brochure. It's probably got one little picture, probably from an airplane of the campus on it. And everything else is, this is what our programs do. This is what you get when you come here. This is how you're going to learn. This is what the value of our uh, accreditation and, and, and 
what your, you know, diploma, all that stuff. This is what it's going to do for you. If you open it up today and let's just say there's a paper pamphlet, like it, you know, instead of a website, it's bright, it's colors, it's look at our swimming pools, look at our student union, look at our coffee shops, uh, look at the crazy this. And, 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 and it's, 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 it's turning into recruiting just like sports. And then when you turn sports, it's, it's not, you, they sell, come be a part of our culture. We're, we're a winning culture. We're blue collar. We're this, we work hard. They sell that. But in the long run, you're still saying, look at our facilities, look what we can offer you, you know, Look how many guys have gone to the NFL. Well, guys that went to the NFL 10 years ago may have had a different coach and a whole different system that got them there or helped develop them to get them there, I should say. And and then when you add that to, you know, the scrutiny of social media, let's just let's take social media out of it. okay? the scrutiny of 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 your of your boys and your cousins and your friends and 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 the guys that are like. Man, I thought you'd be playing by now. Oh, you must be trash. You know, right. like, That's and right. I hear these conversations. I'm not making this up. You know, right. as you know, you've heard them. And and when you throw that in, and then you throw social media on top of it, where you throw strangers' opinions on there, and people that can just be keyboard warriors and keyboard badasses and say whatever they want, and and then they throw rumors in and all this other stuff. I mean. That's the whole reason. Hell, look at our culture outside of sports. I mean, you you think that the mental makeup of all these people that are, you know, the mall shootings and school shootings and all that, people weren't doing that 40 years ago but, in very isolated instances because people's heads weren't so screwed up. Shane, look and at people, this shit right here, Shane. This happened yesterday. Exactly what you're talking about. A hell of a segue. Look at this shit. I mean, this broad goes off and try this is an inmate in a court hearing going trying to attack the DA and the lawyer. Like this is what we see every day though now. Yeah. And and I mean, if I would have imagined uh, in my household, I'd have had my ass kicked for even putting myself in position to have to be in the courtroom in the first place. I, that's what I'm saying. But you know, it, it's I, I could go on all day about this, and I probably wouldn't do your show any justice if I did that. But uh, well, shit, I talk about it every day. I mean, it, that's where we are. It starts in the but, house. But coaches, but but, and I think there's a fine line for sure. And and you you fallen victim to this. But coaches are now scrutinized for trying to keep discipline and and order and 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 you know teachers too, right? Yeah, teachers. I mean, you look at all these videos that that are out on the internet of like kids fighting them, kids fighting each other. The teachers try to break it up. The teachers can't even put their hands on them. I remember my high school coach just grabbing a guy by the collar and and probably taking a fifteen yard horse collar penalty <laughs> uh, to break up a fight. Oh yeah, and, and and then now you got students up in the face of teachers and, or and you're talking about hitting them. And punching them, I saw yeah, a twelve-year-old. I mean, come on, man, it's getting bad. I don't, I yeah. don't know. What, 
I don't know yeah. what to say. It's getting real bad, though. I know that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but, man. I, college, that, so the NFL is coming around the corner. The draft is already April. The, the, this this time is a thief. It don't stop. Um, yeah. The Bears have the first pick. Uh, it was thought Justin may be on the shot being blocked. Now they're saying, no, we're going to build a roster around him. He's proved to us that he can get it done. That's what – that's what they're saying. I had uh, Walter Payton's son on here, Jarrett, and we talked about it in length. Um, you think they traded the Colts, and did the Colts now with Shane Steichen taking the job? Uh, did they did they take a quarterback number one? Is it is it is it Bryce Young? Is it C.J. Stroud? Two California natives. Um, where do you see this 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 draft going early on in April? Even though nobody ever predicts it right, because we never we never know what these teams really need. But the Bears need a lot. Man, I I got out of the draft prediction game my rookie year when I didn't get drafted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the experts say this, say that, say this. You know, hand size is this, wingspan is this. You really never know. And, And that's why I really wish rookie contracts would be contingent and very, uh, uh, you know, like if, if, if you know that this guy is going to develop. So let's just, for example, Carson Palmer, uh, first overall pick, Cincinnati Bengals, right? 2003, maybe. Okay. Oh. Carson Palmer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Didn't play a single down the whole season. Is yeah. Best thing could ever happen for him for his yeah. career. Okay. Now, he signed a huge contract. They're paying him a ton of money to be there and not even play. Um, I think that if there's a way that like, if you know that that's going to be the case, you kind of give them some money and say, Hey, we believe in you in the future, but then let's start putting some contingencies in there that say, once you start producing, boom, you get this bonus, this bonus, this bonus, this bonus, because how many times do they draft these guys in the high rounds and doesn't end up working out and you blew all this money and, and, and it's the same thing, in my opinion, with the guessing game and, and, the, and the good old boy club with coaching is you get a guy that gets fired over here, all of a sudden he's getting hired over here for a record-breaking salary. And, you know, I just wish that the salaries would be lower and the performance bonuses would be higher. And I think that would make – the fans happier and less resentful of these guys making all that money. Hey, Mahomes did it. I mean, think about it. People don't want to talk about it, but Alex Smith started. Mahomes could have, we don't know, but he, I think he benefited gre- greatly from that year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. I, I think Aaron Rodgers benefited from sitting behind Favre. I think that the kid Trask in Tampa got to see just through yeah. osmosis, Shane, if we want to even talk about, Let's say Tom Brady didn't even ever fucking speak to this kid through osmosis, just like Jordan Love now through osmosis with Aaron Rodgers. I think those guys are going to have better, better careers than the guy getting thrown into the fire as a rookie oh, on a bad franchise. Absolutely. So I, in 2010, I played New England. My locker was right beside of Tom and, and Brian Hoyer and other quarterbacks that were there. And, and trust me, Tom is talking to him. Tom is, Tom is tagging him like, hey, you're coming with me. Let's do this. And, and Kyle, Kyle was a guy 
that I don't even know if Kyle started in high school. And then maybe he started his senior year. And then he gets on at Florida as a walk-on, develops behind guys at Florida, and then becomes one of the most powerful offenses in the history of the SEC that season in 2020. I was at Florida. I was coaching there. So, you know, our offense was one of the most – now we had Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts. We had, we had all kinds of weapons on our team, but – he put up numbers that Tim Tebow didn't do in a full season, and we had a COVID-shortened season, and he put up numbers with more SEC opponents in the regular season than typically faced. And, you know, there, there's something to be said with what he was able to do over the time it took him to develop until he finally started. And for him to now be at Tampa, I think he's in a great position and I hope that he gets the opportunity if they end up drafting. So I have no idea. But I, I think Kyle, because he's been very patient, has a good chance. But, um, you know, everything until you get thrown in the fire, you don't know what you got until the, till the, till the fire's high. No, I, I agree. Um, let me ask you this. Um, I don't know who's saying that in the chat here is saying that Eric Bieniemy doesn't make over a million dollars. I know Eric, he's making probably $3 million a year as the OC at Kansas city. Yeah, there, There's not a coordinator in the NFL. Not even special teams coordinators are making over a million. Yeah. Come on, man. I don't know where they hear this shit, but let me get to this, Eric. I grew up with Eric and Darren Hagan and a bunch of guys. Uh, so what is your take, man? We got two old white guys here talking about Eric Bieniemy and the and the fucking the, the nature of the NFL hiring process. Uh, I'm just trying to figure this out. So I know he doesn't call plays. I've been saying this for three years. People thought I was crazy when I was used to be on Pat's show, and I would be like, uh, he don't call plays. And they're like, what do you mean, coach? And I'm like, well, he don't call the plays. I know for a fact. But anyway, now – they're passing him by for, for first-time head coach. I think 15 first-time head coaches have been hired since he's been the OC at the Chiefs. And so the narrative is getting old to me now. Like, I don't believe he's head coach material. And I that's my friend. I don't believe he's head coach material. I believe he is deserving of it, though. I don't think he's worthy of it, if that makes sense. Like, I, yeah, I, I, but I believe he deserves it. I believe he deserves it over <laughs> these other 15 cats have never been even close to having the success, regardless of what you think. Is he titled OC? Is he not? Is he whatever? Yeah. You know, interview well and all the bullshit. I, I'm starting to be like, something's over his head, obviously. And, you just hired the two losing coordinators over him from the team they just beat. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's a tough one because, you know, when, when I look at this subject, you know, as, as someone who had – I had plenty of NFL teams contact me about assistant special teams coordinator position. And – Every time I got passed up for, well, so-and-so uh, suggested this guy, so we hired that guy. And I'm like, okay, all right. And, and that's part of the reason I'm like, you know what? I'm too old for this shit. I'm, I'm going to start my own business. Well, um, you know, right? So, but, but here's the thing. I don't have 
the experience of being a black man and having people not only throw it in my face that I'm not getting hired because I'm black, but I never have lived and walked in those shoes to know what that feels like. And there's a, you know, the narrative is that there's a, there's a racist culture. And to be honest with you, I think there might be. And I, and, and I don't want to deny that. Uh, I think it sucks that when you say he doesn't interview well, that he doesn't get the job. Are, are, are you are you looking for a good interviewer or are you looking for somebody who can coach? And, <laughs> and, and, and that bothers me. I say and that I, shit all the time, man. It's and, and, and I really, I hate seeing sometimes these new coaches getting hired over guys that, you know, white or black have more experience. But but it's especially, you know, it, it just draws attention to it when you see a very qualified black coach get passed over for a first time head coach. And and it shows you that there probably is a little bit of a good old boy system. And I don't know that there's any way to ever defeat that system. Because you're acting to me, like you said, we can never put our foot in his shoe. The issue is. um like I've been pushing, like you know, I've been saying it for a while. It's he is on a he is in the worst scenario of any other coach that's an assistant in football. There's no other person that is a uh, he's going to die on the sword some way. Either he goes to be a new OC at some shitty organization like Washington, they fail. He gets fired there, and now he's on the bottom trying to get back. And then he'll end up in college again as a recruiting coordinator somewhere or or some shit job um, because he cannot bring Patrick Mahomes with him, right? Like, yeah. people don't realize. So they're going to say, oh, Andy Reid did carry that team, and it was Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. You were just sitting there. Or if he goes to a, a, a place and – now you're sitting there saying, okay, well, you know, I said Baltimore for the place. If he goes there or, or Arizona, I said it's going to be a tough situation there because you have two quarterbacks who possibly people are going to say, well, they're overachievers. Uh, they haven't really done – or underachievers. They haven't really done shit. Now you got a guy came from Patrick Mahomes' system. Lamar's same. Lamar's as talented as Patrick. Why didn't you win here? So yeah. I don't believe you know – I don't think there's a win-win situation. There is no situation where Eric Bieniemy is going to go and uh, come out squeaky clean in this thing, in my opinion. And and I don't know. Uh, do you leave Andy Reid just because you just say you left Andy Reid just to go fail somewhere else? Like I, I'm curious. I just say fuck it and stay as an assistant in Kansas City and try to win. I some mean, if I'm him, I'm staying as an assistant and and I'm riding until the wheels fall off. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing. Or I'm going to spread my wings to be a head coach. I'm taking a head coach position. And if he finds that it does not work out for him as a head coach, then you know what? At least now you know. Uh, but I would stay where he is because I mean, let's be honest. Whether he's calling the plays or not, he's still, you know, those late night whiteboard sessions. And when no, they're he, talking. He's doing scatter reports and shit, guarantee you that. I know that. Yeah. You, you know that whether Andy Reid's calling these plays or not, 
they are crafting and and either implementing systems that they've had from other from the past or coming up with new concepts or whatever they're doing but there's a reason that they're able to have success there's a reason they're able to come up with things to confuse coverages to be able to find concepts to free up receivers to to make things work out in a way that gives them the success that they have outside of just you know Patrick Mahomes makes crazy throws and he's a great blah 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 um they come up with that together if they weren't coming up with it together Andy Reid probably wouldn't have him on his staff because he's like hey I'm doing this I don't need you so I, I feel like for him to to have the value to Andy Reid that he has he's still bringing a lot to the table and, and I'm speculating because I have no idea. I've never sat foot in their meetings to know exactly what they talk about. But whether Andy Reid calls the plays or not, he is a part of it. And oh, he's that, a big part. He's he's handling personnel. He's handling substitution. He's handling he's handling scouting reports during the week or the two weeks off for the Super Bowl. You know, damn what so I know for a fact he's doing a lot of the work on the film. He's doing a lot of the this is what they do with motion, this is what they do here, this is when they drop into coverage, this is when they come. Yeah. He's doing all the scout reports analytics shit, and they're breaking it down and and and, and coming up with this game plan together with yeah. the staff. Oh yeah. And and, and I, I respect Andy's I, just the OG, right? That understands what second and second second and seven call should be. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. like second and seven. I, I'm dialed in. I through through 50 years of experience. This is what I'm going to call. Yeah, really, what it comes down to. If you ever watch practice, Andy Reid never has a script at practice, but in the game, motherfucker has a script this big, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's how you know he calls the plays where people never really thought about that or talk about it. But yeah, so you and know, EB's doing all the work during the week. Yeah, and, and I respect those coaches, especially the guys that, that uh, one, they appreciate what the work of the interns, the GAs, the analysts, the assistants, whatever. They appreciate that work because, one, they probably grinded it themselves at one time. Two, they don't just delegate everything to someone else and say, bring me a report, give me a, a write-down, a write-up or whatever. Like, they're in there elbow grease and the whole thing themselves and they're able to fully understand and grasp everything because not only are they watching the film but they're having the conversations with whoever the support staff is they're doing the work on the computer they're doing the work by actually coming up with the innovations and different things and then that way they're not just being spoon-fed things and then copy and pasting it and all that kind of stuff. Cause there are those coaches, you know, that they're copy and paste coaches that might not even understand the concepts that's being given to them, but they still end up having a successful resume for that reason. No, nah, no doubt about it. It's, it's, there's no question. I, I think that's a, uh, that's a definite uh, real thing. Um, your Super Bowl thoughts, uh, the field conditions. They're, they're, now they're telling. Now they're saying this guy right here is a Chief fan. He does the field. Uh, he's the one that's been doing the NFL fields forever, and he's a Kansas City Chiefs fan. He's rocking a Kansas City Chief uh, T-shirt. Um, and I watched me and Sean Salisbury. We broke down the film last night. 
And there was 38 slippages on defense for the Eagles. Um, they changed their cleats three oh. times, I was told. Um, Kelsey Brothers came on their, their podcast, which is a great – I like their podcast, man. They came, It's one of the only ones I listen to. They came out and said, we didn't give a shit. We liked the harsh conditions. If it was raining, there would be no difference. I've talked to a field guy who's done NFL fields in a lot of college fields. He said there was entirely too much fucking paint on that field. Um, so you got both sides of the thing. I, yeah. love, I love that the Kelsey brothers said that had no bearing on what we did. We both yeah. had to play on the field. We both had to play. There's no conspiracy and all that bullshit in there. Um, <laughs> go down the holding call, though, Shane. Do you call that when you haven't called any other fucking penalty all game is my question. Um, yeah. In the my, game. my thing is be consistent. Like, I get it. You know, like. Did he tug him? Yeah, he admitted to it. But but was it so blatant that it warranted that call in that moment when the ball was so far over his head? And 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 then to to basically just make a game that was like on the edge of your seat just to be like, oh, well, all right, well, game's over, you know. And, and, you know, they, they down it at the one, run the clock out, you know, kind of finish it in textbook form. Um, it just made it anticlimactic at that point. Now, if they're calling that the whole game, I got no problem. But you're not seeing it the whole game. You're not seeing it the whole game. No, you're not. I didn't see no call. There was no call. There was no PI. There was no hold all, all the way up to that moment. And that's what I don't like. The other key factor is no one talks about is if Jalen Hurts keeps Smith in bounds and he walks in the end zone, they save quite a bit of time. Uh, he threw him out of bounds. He caught the ball, but it was out of bounds a little bit, and then they had to run a couple plays to score. That that cost him uh, some time, which could have been critical in the game uh, as far as getting the ball back. So there's a lot of little things that nobody breaks down. Sean and I broke it down last night. Um, th th this should be on everybody's – uh, every coach out there in high school, youth, college, even the league now, this picture right here should be oh, on absolutely. This this should be on everybody's bulletin board or, or in the weight room or in their locker room. That should be a picture that just stands out because you know the selflessness of that play. This this kid could have been a guy that told his grandkids, "I scored a Super Bowl." Oh yeah, touchdown. Oh, yeah. But I, betterment of the team, I stopped short so we could win the motherfucker. That is yeah. just something that a lot of these kids have no clue about. Oh, so the moment that happened, I tweeted, oh, boy, here come all the uh, – either the either the gamblers that are mad because it screwed yes. up their over-under yes. or or all the people that said, why didn't he – he should have just scored. And I, had, and I ended up having a couple arguments. And they're friendly. They were friendly with people that I have no beef with. Uh, but then there's other people I've had this conversation with when guys didn't do it and had conversations with people when they did do it. And like, if you don't understand the concept of keeping control of the clock and keeping the ball out of the other team's hand, I will take the gamble of a 1% to less than 1% chance of that field goal getting blocked than a potential 15 to 20% chance of that team scoring in a minute. If you score that touchdown, I mean, yeah. and, 
And then you give them what, seven seconds. And then instead of just downing uh, or however much, what, 10 seconds, I don't remember how much time was on the clock, but instead of just downing the, the, the kickoff return so you could get on the field, the offense, a two plays maybe, then you run it and kill a few seconds and it really doesn't help you. Um, I don't know, but, but, but that was, that is one of the most selfless and admirable things you can see. And you're absolutely right. That should not just be made a poster on the wall. That should be made a fat head or a, or a yeah. vinyl wrap on an entire wall. Let me or, ask you this as a kicker in the NFL, you played what, 12 years in the league? 15. 15 years in the league. Do you put on do you do you like on the sideline? He does that. Does your asshole pucker up instantly like fuck, I gotta go make this goddamn kick? Or are you are you are you asking for that to happen? The the mindset of anyone in that position that has made it to that level. And 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 let me say th- there's there's a couple different mindsets. The mindsets of the guys that make it to that level and last, the 15-year guys, the 20-year guys, uh, everyone says, oh, kickers can play forever. No, some can. For every guy that lasted 15 years, 20 years, there's 100 guys that lasted one season or one game. And so there, there is, like, the guys that lasted one game or one season, they get washed out. And I'm not – it's nothing against them. It's just – it's a tough game, you know. 32 in the world on any given Sunday can, can do it. But uh, your mindset is you hope you get to kick it. And if you don't have that mindset, you might as well just retire. You're saying home. if you don't have that mindset, you're the guy that's getting cut anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you that, did that, that, was, that was my point. If, if you're not on that level, then your ass doesn't deserve to be there and you'll go home. You know, like you're going to you're going to eventually wash out because you don't have the right mindset. And that's part of like my whole business model is not just instructing on the field. It's the psychology and the mindset of where you have to be to perform at a high level through not only the study of sports psychology, but my experiences that I failed and had success in and the mistakes that I made and the things I did right. So I certainly had my share of mistakes and 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 subpar performances but i learned from all that so i can help guys what 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 is that rank though 15 years as an nfl kicker like there's only a few that had longer careers than you right uh there's there's a few yeah um i I don't know where it ranks i mean uh a good friend of mine david akers he you know legend in the nfl he played for 15 years you know your your adam benetaries that played 20 plus uh, your John Carney's, your your uh, Morton and Gary Anderson, like those guys. How long um, did Janikowski play? Janikowski played, I think, six, 16, 17, 18. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how many yeah. he played, but but he played a lot, and 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 he is a uh, he is a special special. Uh, anomaly of what a kicker is i mean one one he's an awesome dude i i love the guy i've played golf with him uh hung out with him uh he i think he got a bad rap for maybe his immaturity when he was younger uh and the early success that he had but but hanging out with him he's such a good dude and he was 
he was just the guy that had the mindset of I don't give a fuck. Like he just he was just like uh, I, I remember playing he him. Like real, he was like not a real. You guys are real football players, but he was kind of like a fucking like a like a, a goddamn skill player attitude, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was in in pregame one time, and I was talking. This was back when we kicked off from the thirty, and if it didn't go out of the end zone. Leon Washington or Devin Hester or somebody was bringing it out. So my touchbacks were never phenomenal in my career, but I was, I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not getting a ton of touchbacks. He goes, no worries, my friend, follow me. I'll show you the way. (laughs) (laughs) And he just had an attitude that he didn't care if he missed. Obviously he was pissed about it, but he just, he just moved on. He, he, He had nothing to lose because he already knew how fortunate he was to be over here in America playing a pro sport. Let me ask you this before you get out of here. The, I actually don't like the PAT being moved back. The reason why I don't like it is the fact that you can make a field goal from a shorter distance than a PAT. And I don't believe that should be the way it, it is. I think a PAT should be the ultimate seven-yard line kick fucking snap it to whatever and make it nowadays pats they're making it like i don't understand you can you can aid in a bet a qb sneak now but you gotta back up the pat I, i'm just confused on the rules sean and i were talking about it last night and we're just like wonder what kickers would think what is your thought on this maybe correct me if i'm wrong do you like the backing up the pat or is it bullshit uh you know i'm not a fan of it not a fan of it. I think um, I, I can't tell you what uh, if my percentage uh, was affected by that or not. I don't remember missing in the regular season. I did miss one in the preseason that I clearly remember. Um, but when, when you go messing with things that weren't broken, that that's my issue. Yeah, and no, and. Dead. Uh, you know, and and there's this concept of, well, if we back it up, the kickers are going to kick it lower. Maybe they can block it easier. No, no, no. No kicker ever tries to kick the ball low. That is a myth. Right. If, you're, if, if you watch Justin Tucker kick a 66-yarder, the ball still goes five feet over top of the uprights before. Oh, yeah. Um, so it, it, if, it's a, if it's a thing that the defensive line are, are starting to give less effort, on PATs as the game goes along, whether they're at the, you know, a 33 yard PAT or a 20 yard PAT, um, they're going to give the same effort because they, they're, it just, it's attitude. If you've got the right attitude, you're going to give effort on every play. And, and when it comes to, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you make a two point conversion from the one yard line and, and make the PAT from the two yard. I don't know. Do something to where you give a little bit of incentive to go for two. But but I think when you back it up, maybe it makes the game more interesting because it, it puts a little bit more of a, uh, a chance on something happening and that one point ends up burning you at some point during the game. But I, I, say, I say rather than do that, put the incentive on going for two somehow. Yeah, I, yeah that's not a bad point. I just don't – I don't know. What is your thought before you get out of here? Uh, TJ Lang's going to join me here in a minute. What What's your thought on overtime in the NFL? Is it Is it right? Is it Does it need to be fixed? Uh, do you hate it? What's the deal with overtime? 
uh, I guess two things. Uh, one, I, I do like the fact that it can be, you know, a, a full plane, full scenario situation. But I do also kind of like how college both teams just get a shot, you know. You know, so maybe 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 we do NFL over time where both teams get the ball at the 40 and you duke it out, you know, and and, you, you know, a sudden death it until somebody doesn't get it, I guess. Um, so you don't like tying the game? I, I'm not a fan of tie games, no. Yeah, I don't believe I, that. I think there needs to be an end-all, be-all, like no tie game because, you know, I never kissed my sister, and 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 when I tied a, a tied a game, you know, that's the phrase. It's like tying's like kissing your sister. Uh, you know, I think tie games are meant for European soccer you you know, I don't think it's for American football. I agree with you. That to me, it's soft as shit. Uh, wish we can get out of it, man. So tell <laughs> us about winning solutions. You got a, the elite winning solutions, um.com. It's on the ticker below. Uh, so you traveling around or are you doing it from your, you got your own little spot. So I, I do it two ways. So right now I'm, I'm partnered with a diff, with a with another company uh, while I'm down here. So I'm training to transfer portal guys and uh, uh, pro prospects and free agents. So we have a daily regimen where we're on the field kicking. We we do the weight room and the speed training, uh, nutrition, and then I give uh, weekly presentations on you know situational awareness, uh, mental preparation, mental performance. Uh, things like, like I gave guys tips on how to freaking keep a bag in their car at all times when they're a free agent. Cause you never know when you're going to get the call and you might only have time to go straight to the airport. You don't have time to go home. What to pack in your bag. What, just all the things that they've never learned. And that a lot of the coaches that are out here training these guys never learned because they didn't live the life. And uh, through, you know, when I started studying sports psychology into my career, uh, the way I'm able to help guys with that and then situational awareness, so much I learned through the 15 years of playing and then getting into coaching and the friendships with a lot of these coaches that I played under, uh, just trying to share my knowledge. But when I go home, I, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I train everything from high school guys. I have NFL guys who come in town. My wife and I actually run what we call a, a, a kicking bed and breakfast where I give guys a chance. They stay in my house. I feed them. They don't have to pay for a hotel. And then I train them on the field. We do film study. We do situational football study. And then we do, uh, I've got a weight room that I built in my house specifically for skill set training type of exercises for specialists. Um, let me send this up. Man, that's admirable shit to have them at your house. Uh, what's the age group of these dudes? Uh, you know, I've worked with some local guys and I've worked with middle school guys, but the guys that come to the house, you know, I've had I've had parents come with their with their kids. Uh, I've had college guys come where uh, you know the snapper, holder, punter, and and kicker all come and stay. Um, I've already got a, a few guys like NFL draft prospects that are going to come hanging out with me uh, in March after the combine. And then uh, throughout the summer, I've got some guys that are actually going to move up, get an Airbnb for themselves and just train with me for a few months. Uh, I'll probably have those guys help me and I'll probably pay them 
to help training some younger guys because they can be, you know, mentors to the younger guys as well. But, you know, and, and then outside of that, like I, I help college coaches with my Vizio stencils that I obsessed over when I was coaching and I continue to use now because when I do uh, presentations and slides, I use a lot of Vizio stuff and uh, a lot of the young coaches out there, I help them with that. Um, but it, it's just not working 15, 20 hours that I actually really enjoyed. Um, it's just more time to be healthy. Like my blood pressure is like way down. Uh, you know, I've lost some weight. Uh, I'm eating better. I'm exercising. Like all the stuff I wasn't doing as a coach because I was so obsessed with being there before the head coach and leaving after the head coach and doing everything I could to make sure that when I did a, a, a slide presentation or put together a cut up everything, I wanted people to say, damn, that's good. And that was just the way my, my brain worked. And obsessing over that made me very unhealthy physically. Hey, I've lost like 35 pounds, man. So I, I know, shit. Good for you. I, I see some of that cooking you're doing too. Yeah, man. If you, I just said, fuck it. You eat meat, it's just protein. You won't get fat. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I think we've all been lied to when it comes to what actual healthy food is. Hell yeah. So. Hey, you know what I did do, though? I cut out bread, man. I haven't ate bread. I cut out bread completely. And I'm telling you right now, the bread is the fucking devil. Yeah. I, 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 I it, it was a life changer. Yeah, I, I limit it. You know, I, I don't go full keto, but uh, I definitely am more aware of just the useless, brainless, just nah. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, man, I appreciate you jumping on here, man. It's always good to talk to you, man. 15-year NFL career is uh, unbelievable. A lot of people don't realize how, how difficult that is to make it on a practice squad, a little less 15 years, so... Uh, commendable man, and uh, I can't I, I can't wait to talk to you again and keep doing what you're doing with those babies. If you ever need me to come speak, man, let me know. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you, brother. I'll talk talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Appreciate it, Shane Graham. Everybody, um, appreciate him. 15 year NFL vet. Um, can't can't beat that, man. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of kicking in the NFL. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. So um, that is uh, incredible uh, for a great dude. He's a great dude, by the way. Uh, TJ Lang live from the 616 will be joining me here right any minute now. Um, so can't wait to get this done. Derek Carr was released. Uh, and there's no better segue then to give you a one-minute Derek Carr rendition of how I think about him uh, while I go get to take a piss. I'll be right back. Quickly down to JB at 16. Um, Quickly down to Sean as our color guy drops back, pockets clean, he steps up, clear pocket. Here we go. This is what we don't like. You know what? He's a man of faith, but guess what? He's scared as a whore in church, and he can't get out of his own fucking way. He wants to sit in the pocket and be a fucking scared little girl. Look at this. Fucking check the fucking ball down, Derek Carr. You're walking man of faith. You want to walk by faith and not by sight so fucking much. How about you step in there and drop your nuts in the pocket, motherfucker? Shit. That's what I would tell him, Sean. I'm just being honest here. Like, goddamn, you want to talk about fucking miss? You're so God-fearing. Well, step in the fucking pocket. You're not going to die, son. Shit. <laughs>
I mean, it's unbelievable, man. This motherfucker won't step up for nothing in his life. He, he sees ghosts at his fucking feet every goddamn game. Hey, there we go. Nothing better than live TV. Being late. Back to the show. Fuck it. Brought to you by Slapdick Cigars. Um, no doubt, Salty. Big, big, uh, big ginger show, huh? All redheads and shit. I ain't no redhead, though. I got fucking, I get a little red highlights in my beard from time to time. Uh, we got a loaded show today, man. I uh, hope you guys... Pound the like button in appreciation. Matt joins Matt McChesney's gonna join me later on. Steve Kim's still gonna join me. We got TJ Lang joining me here in a second. Um, it's a stacked show. Thanks to Shane, Shane Graham for joining me. Longtime NFL kicker. Uh used to coach, he was coaching at the University of Florida. Um, great dude, man. Uh TJ, uh Michigan native, won a Super Bowl, played for the Packers for about seven, eight years, played for the Lions as well. So he played two-time Pro Bowler. Um, we're going to wait. Raquel Welch, man, uh, what a beautiful woman. She passed away. Um, wanted to give that a little update. She she uh, she passed away. Um, so unfortunate, but... Um, TJ's trying to log in right now and get that going. Um, DeMar Hamlin says the jacket wasn't meant to offend anybody. Uh, like we said on the show, we thought it was probably ignorance. Ignorance is life-threatening quite often. And, uh, you know, he thought it was a fashion statement. Um, I don't know. I think we were looking into it way too deep. I said it on the show. I said, I think these young cats wear shit. They have no fucking clue what it means. That's just what I thought. Uh, the Chiefs are clowning yesterday. Having an O-line guy come on um, is going to be good. Um, but they were talking shit yesterday uh, at the, at the, uh, at the uh, celebration parade zero sacks um they had they must have took that personal man because a lot of cats were talking that eagle defense that eagle front seven and to allow no sacks uh was pretty impressive patrick mahomes um obviously walking oh! uh was funny as fuck too 
And uh, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to break down uh, the Kelsey brothers. Uh, we're going to break that down as well. But uh, before we get that going, um, like I said, uh, make sure you guys pound the like button, subscribe, become a member. Uh, appreciate everybody joining us here. Uh, longtime NFL vet, Packers, Lions, radio personality. Um, Appreciate TJ Lang for joining the show. I'm going to bring him in. Make sure you follow him on all social media platforms. Um, TJ, I appreciate you, brother. You run a right uh, tight ship around there, huh, man? Yeah, go man. I got like it, man. You got to dip in already? Oh, already. I had one in about three hours ago, brother. <laughs> I, I fucking love it. I just had Shane Graham on, man. I'm like, dude, how do you kick in the NFL for 15 years and – I said, you got to be uh, – that's a, that's a special cat, man, to kick in the NFL 15 years. You played an O-line, obviously. Uh, what, what do you think about this uh, – what do you think about this shit right here? The Chiefs talking big shit, zero sacks, <laughs> um, giving it up. And then the Eagles talking about this guy fucked the field off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell was going on down there, brother. Like, that field looked terrible. I mean, we've all played on bad fields. I don't know. For some reason, the NFL standards seem to be so low when it comes to, you know, the integrity of the field. Um, like, I was just reading about, you know, how FIFA, like the World Cup is coming here in a couple years, and like all these domes are going to have to put in grass because it's safer for the soccer players. It's like, why the fuck don't you do that for NFL players? Like, oh, like our job is just like even harder. You got, you know, 350-pound dudes out there on the grass. It's going to get torn up. Um, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, that, that those shirts that those chief boys are wearing, though, man. Those are tight. I think. Look, anytime and anytime, I'll admit this too. Uh, o line, you love playing in shitty weather. You love when it rains. You love when it snows. Um, you love when you have you know bad turf because that is going to favor offensive linemen a hundred percent of the time. You know, all we got to do is is back up and plan a little bit. Uh, or the defensive lineman, anytime they're slipping off the ball, they lose that power on their first and second step. It makes our job a whole lot easier. So as a selfish offensive lineman, I love playing on shitty fields. Um, but defensive players, skill players, like they don't like it as much. And I'll, I, not to get off topic real quick, but I think that was one of the best parts of the Super Bowl was, you know, Andy Reid and the second half adjustments he was making with a lot of those cuts uh, to make the Eagles defensive backs have to change directions a little bit. And, you know, they obviously got burned a couple times on the touchdowns on the same play. But even that Bradbury hold, man, I'm telling you, it wasn't much. But I think the fact that, you know, he couldn't plant and change directions like he normally would on turf, he kind of had to grab uh, Juju a little bit to help get himself back in position, probably because he knew uh, he wasn't going to put his foot in the ground and change directions like he normally does because the field was so bad. But that was a good game, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset. You know, I, I think a lot of us were like, damn. It sucks that that call was made so late in the game because we all wanted to see, hey, what could have happened if it had gone down to the wire, maybe overtime. But, you know, it was what it was, man, and it was, a, it was a damn good game, I'll tell you that much. And KC, wearing those shirts, they deserve it, brother. I mean, they played their ass off. They were uh, – Mahomes didn't have three, you know, touchdown passes there. You, should, you could have made an argument that you could have given that whole O-line uh, MVP award because those, those dudes balled out. I used to have a ward, man, called Ward Daddies, and it was the best unit of the game. Whoever had the best unit, O-line, D-line, DBs, special teams, and I, I cooked them steak dinners or whatever I did for them, and that O-line was clearly the Ward Daddies. I'm glad you came on from an O-line perspective. I've had other guys on, 
And I was Sean Salisbury and I, we do a show every other day, and we were breaking this game down last night. And Sean was like, I don't want to hear the conspiracy. They both had to play in it. And then the Kelsey brothers came out on the show and were like, we both played in it. We actually like the adversity. We like shittier conditions so we can say we beat you and, and et cetera. But I love hearing your perspective, man, because people don't realize I'm the only one saying, hold on now. As an offensive guy and a quarterback, I know for a fact that those D linemen cannot rush the fucking passer the right. same. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's all about the defensive linemen will tell you a lot of it is is all about their first step, you know, and if they can't explode off the ball, if they can't, you know, show a presence that they're going to beat you to the edge, um, you don't really got to worry about much as an offensive lineman. So that changes your whole game plan. You're not trying to set up for the speed rush every single time. You know, you can slow it down a little bit because those dudes are going to be slipping off the ball. It just, it does, man. It makes your offensive line uh, a job a whole lot easier. And look, I thought Philly's offensive line had a really damn good game too. I mean, you know, Hertz wasn't getting beat up left and right either. I mean, they did a pretty good job of, uh, slowing down Chris Jones and, and some Chris of those Jones didn't get no had. right yeah that's what I'm saying both offensive lines played uh played extremely well hey I'm gonna ask you too like the Eagles man I think Andy Reid it kind of fell into him being a great play caller you know having no known Eric and Andy for a while Andy's a California native so is EB we grew up together in the same me and Darren Hagan and EB when I'm looking at this game I'm sitting there like Andy Reid's dick is hard right now at this point, because he knows he's got two wide nines, TJ, and two-point stances. You ain't going to do – there's not a lot you're doing. You're coming off the edge in a ghost nine, or you're peeling back and dropping in zone. Like, we know what you're doing. And I think Andy took full advantage. And the linebackers, TJ, were fucking seven yards deep. And I'm like, he ain't worried about nobody coming. They, they brought five at the most. Yeah. Kansas City kept six in for the most part. Like, he had no issues up front. And I believe it just – it was feast or famine with motion and it dictating the man coverage that he got. For the run game, TJ, I thought he just gassed him. They ran for almost 200 yards, and I think that is the deciding factor. I don't know yeah. if you agree or not. Yeah, no, that run game was huge for him because I think you, for the most part of that game, you could see – I mean, Mahomes' numbers weren't, you know, some – crazy ridiculous you know 180 yards. right 180 yards he had the three touchdowns in there like it, now if kansas city would have had to you know throw the ball you know 40 45 50 times does that game come out different like probably right because i think for the most part philly was doing a pretty good job uh of not letting him beat them um but kansas city said you know what screw it you want to take away the pass you want to rush four you want to play six in the box we, we're going to play physical we're going to run down your throat man and I think an underrated part of, uh, you know, Kansas City, too. I mean, when you talk about offensive lines and what we've been hearing about the last, you know, couple months, it's all about Philly, right? It's all about Lane and Kelsey and Malata and the two guards they got, Dickerson. And, uh, it's, all, it's all about those guys. Kansas City, man, they they did a very similar rebuild a couple of years ago. I mean, getting Orlando Brown in there, getting, you know, Joe Tooney, who's an all-pro type dude at left guard. Uh, striking gold with Creed Humphrey, you know, putting in some resources there uh, in the draft with him and Trey Smith, the right guard. Man, Andrew Wiley, I love Wiley, man. He's an Eastern Michigan cat. I was Eastern Michigan boy too. And, you know, out there at right tackle, just a dude who's going to go out there and battle, man. So I think Kansas City's offensive line, you know, it was one of those games like, oh, Philly's getting all the talk about their old line. They're getting all the love. Like, all right, cool. Hold this, you know, watch this shit, you know, and they, and I think they took that personal, man. But you're right, Andy Reid is that type of coach where 
you know, you have to have something special when you go against guys like that, right? You can't just be stubborn and line up and say, you know, we're going to do what we do. We're going to play six in the box and we're just going to beat your ass because we're better than you. Uh, Philly's a damn good defense, but, you know, they're not, I don't put them in the category with, you know, shit when San Fran, you know, talking about 2011 to 2014 or even Seattle, you know, in the Legion of Boom days, like they could just line up and be like, well, we're going to run cover right? three, we're going to run six in the box, and good luck, you know. Like, Philly's good. They got some good players, but when you face Kansas City, when you face Andy Reid, you got to come up with something a little bit more creative and show them some different looks. And I don't think Philly did that enough, and I thought Kansas City did a nice job of adjusting. And we saw some of those cool, uh, you know, Andy Reid-type plays where he brings back the freaking veer, you know, from like 40 years ago. Hell yeah. <laughs> hasn't seen in forever on a little wing T formation, you know, and it's just cool shit like that. that hey, let me ask you, as an old line guy, though. being a nasty ass up front that you have to be, I, I go back to play number one. This is, they're down seven, nothing. This is just play number one. First of all, I think the Eagles are so fucking badly misaligned the entire game from breaking this game down. I It baffles me on, on how some of these guys get head jobs. But anyway, I mean, this is the worst bear front I've ever seen. Like, the number seven's walking up over here on the edge here in a second. You'll see him walking up over here. And I'm like, Andy Reid's got to be. But but I wanted you to watch Fletcher Cox. Um, yeah, he's over the right guard. 65 right here to me, right there, right the, here. The to me, that dictated, fuck you. Like, popping your helmet off, I don't give a fuck. And Fletcher really didn't do shit about it. And I'm like... I'm like, uh, I'm like, you know what? That that ain't a bad little that ain't a bad little deal. I'm like, I I think they set the tone. tone. I don't yeah, know that's what the tone set. That's punching you in the face and saying you know, it's gonna be a long fucking day. Like I don't care who you are, you're not gonna come push me around, you know. And that reminds me. Of, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I had a lot of games where you know playing when I was in Green Bay, we played the Lions. Man, they had a couple good defenses there for a couple years and, and Dominican Sue was that type of dude you know you had to set the tone on the first damn play if you felt like you were giving him power to come push you around like he was gonna feed off of that you know what I mean if you gave him one little inch of you know being a bully or freaking getting the last shove in like he was gonna make your freaking day a living hell you know and you had to do that to him you had to get in his face you had to finish him you had to give him a little uh, extra shove after the whistle to kind of let him know like no, man, it's, it ain't going to be that type of day. Like, I'm going to stick up for myself. And watching, you know, Trey Smith there doing that to Fletcher, who's, what, a 12-year vet, like perennial pro bowler? I mean, that kind of sets a tone. And other guys notice that too. You know what I mean? Other guys on the on that offense, other guys on the sideline, you know, Casey's defense, they're watching that shit. They're like, look at this young pup, man. He's taking on this vet. Like, hell yeah, boys, let's go. You know, and that shit's contagious. It just spreads. Uh, spreads momentum throughout your whole sideline, man. I love and that. And then they're dropping their nuts like this. Yeah, like, zero sex. You, I, Same dude, man. That's awesome, bro. That's I, I, I love, it, love, I love, I love dirty plays like that. It's not dirty, but I just love the grimy plays like that. You know? Hell yeah. Um, so what do you got going on now, man? You so I used to recruit the shit out of uh, out of Lakeland and, and and Brother Rice. I know you went to those places. Uh, you went to Eastern Michigan. Uh, good friend of mine, Max Crosby, also went there. Who's the greatest alum out of Eastern Michigan? You or Max? <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you what. If I had that honor, it was uh, short-lived because what Max is doing right now out there in Vegas, man, he's a, he's a special cat, dude. And and I love Max, man. He's such a good dude, comes from a great family. You know, he came out as a junior, actually, from Eastern. Yeah. Um, ended up being a fourth-round pick, you know. But 
just kind of he he's one of those dudes like you watch him and there's nothing like you don't you watch some of these other cats and you're like man like they just have really special traits like Max, you look at it and you're like, he's got the long arms. Like, that's his trait, but he just works so damn hard. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the hardest working freaking dudes uh, that you're ever going to freaking see, man. And he's just, he's so special. His work ethic and, and you know, some adversity he's been through in his life, man. He's a special cat. So I think he's, he might have passed me up there a little bit, uh, you know, in the past couple of years. But Charlie Batch, man, he was one of the goats too at Eastern. Oh, you know, yeah. that dude oh, had yeah. a freaking. Uh, career in the NFL, you know, obviously started for a few years there in Detroit, went to Pittsburgh, won a couple Super Bowls, you know, life of a backup quarterback in the NFL for 18 years, whatever. Charlie's, Charlie's my man. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we, 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 we've sent out a couple couple dudes in the last couple of years. You know, I just talked about Andrew, Andrew Wiley, right tackle for the Chiefs, man, Eastern boy. Like, we're starting to get a little bit more representation in the league and a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more clout to our name, so to say. Who was your head coach when you were there? I had um, I had Jeff Jennick. So Jeff was uh, yeah, I think yeah. he came from Northwestern, uh, came to Eastern. I think he was there for five years. Uh, he's currently, I think, back at Northwestern now. Uh, good coach. You know, we just we didn't win many games back then. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, bro, Eastern, don't sleep on the boys. You know, they just won nine games this past year for the first time ever. You know, first bowl game that they've won in the last. I think it was 35 years. You know, Chris Creighton's doing a nice job over there, man. It's uh, it's good to nah, see it's good to see him get back on track. They're starting to send out some some talent every year yeah. now too. We got a couple dudes going to the combine. You know, might have a couple more draft picks this year. So it's, it's two of my team, guys. Man. My center, your center was my kid, and the tight end was my kid from Indy, from JUCO. Um, they actually got to play with Max a couple years, and then uh, they were one and dones for me. And they played there. So Bates, uh, Bates was the center. Played yeah, for yeah, yeah. And a boy I brought in, and then. Uh, the tight end, um, he, he did a – we call him Chops. He did a hell of a job for us, and then he went up there and played – he started for you guys, I think, three years. They were both two, They were both four for five kids. Yeah, yeah, so, nice program down there, brother. Sending out some yeah, he's doing a good job. <laughs> Creighton used to come to my office, man, and and, and, and and he came to my office. The first time I met him, he was like, man, JB, I want to I meet you. I want to – can I uh, hang around you all day? And I go, fuck are you talking about? He was like – he has this yellow pad, and I'm like – I'm like, yeah, coach, you're welcome to do whatever. You know, he's like, no, because I've been around here for years recruiting, and what the fuck this place looks like now and what you've done here, I have to know because I'm trying to flip Eastern Michigan. And, man, I give him more credit than anyone I've ever had come by, man. He he, he follows me for the entire day, everything I did, meetings, uh, from recruiting meetings. What I was – I was actually building a big-ass sandbox in front of our office for, like, rehab and strength conditioning and speed agility shit, and he was like, Fuck, so you're, I said, I'm a California guy. I like the beach, man. I'm bringing sand. I had like 20 tons <laughs> of sand delivered and made a big-ass box in front of that uh, fucking office, man. Hey, it helped the shit out of our kid. Uh, we loved it. In the morning, 5 in the morning, we're in that bitch. And uh, he was like, fuck, man. And, and then he took our – it was a Wednesday, and we had practice, and I called it Hard Work Boot Wednesday. And uh, I had these mechanic, mechanic shirts made. And they were like true up, true diesel mechanic shirts. He took that shit and he wore it. They he had the whole staff wear it in their bowl game uh, a few years ago. He wore that whole. Oh staff. yeah, I remember that. And he yeah. gave me credit, man. And I I got to give him a lot of credit for it, man. He he, he did a hell of a job. Well, I'll so, tell you what, I, I, he probably walked all you around with that. He probably followed you with that yellow pad. I'll tell you what, watching your show, man, that last chance. 
you couldn't be more opposite coaches, I'll tell you that. But you sound yeah, like, he, he, like he, he, he doesn't swear. Like, he's, like, all positive. And, you know, he'll get on the dudes a little bit. But I don't think he's taking much of your coaching style with him. But shit, you can't argue with about, you know, what you did down there, what he's done up Eastern, like the whole kind of blueprint of turning around, you know, what is – I hate to say it, but what has traditionally been kind of – shit programs right like that man both of you guys dude done a hell of a job man so that's, that, a, that's a good blueprint for him to go off of no doubt about it i think it proves that you can win either way right you can yeah, do it for sure. as long as you got the right people the right resources in place man like hell yeah you get the buy-in right you got to get tj lang in the building as a recruit you got to get max crosby in the building as a recruit and then you got to get their ass to run through a wall for you i don't care if you cuss at them or if you whisper sweet nothings if that <laughs> works fuck it <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. It's so much about development too, man. I'd love to have this conversation with you another day, but you know, like I, I, I just, my story Eastern real quick, you say like, people are like, why, why'd you go to Eastern? Eastern was my only offer. Eastern Michigan was the only school that gave me a chance to play football in college. Cause I used to go to a lot of like some bigger schools would come in and I was six, four, probably two fifty. you know, my senior year. And they're like, well, you, you're too light, you know, you're too light to play offense. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're athletic enough to play defense type shit. In the back of my mind, I'm a 17-year-old kid. I graduated high school, I was 17. And I'm sitting there, and the only question I have is like, you must really not trust your strength coach then if you don't think he can put on 30, 40 pounds of muscle on a 17-year-old kid. Oh, shit. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, I can't play freaking Big Ten left tackle at 6'4", 250 right now. But by the time I'm 19, 20, maybe I get to, you know, 300, 310. Like, isn't that your fucking job to do that shit? You know, so like so much of it is about development. I know that's a conversation for another day, but uh, no man, doubt. Max was the same cat too, you know, like people are like, man, how'd y'all end up at Eastern Michigan? Like, that was all school gave us a shot, man. You get there, you develop, you got the right people in place, and you know, look what happens a couple years later. Hey, Matt, Matt McChesney, I don't know if you know Matt. Matt played in the league for a while. He he comes on the show all the time, and he uh he played at both O-line and D-line. And and he has great NFL stories on when they transitioned him. They said, hey, you want to play in this league? Then you need to move on over here. You started at Eastern Michigan as a D lineman, didn't you? And and, and then yeah. transition, what was what was the transition? What was the reasoning for it? And then how did you like it? That, well, I was actually my true freshman year. Uh, I started the first game at defensive tackle. I was like 265 by that point. 17-year-old uh, kid, wasn't even 18 yet. And we played against Cincinnati, and, man, they beat my ass. I'll tell you what, 17-year-old kid going against some 21-, 22-year-old Big East boys. Like, that was a tough transition. But my freshman year, I started a couple games on the defensive side, uh, turned into kind of a rotational player. Um, and then it was actually the first day of camp my sophomore year, the very first day, like showing up, getting physicals, doing all that shit. Um, the coaches, we had – we had like four or five offensive linemen that just like didn't show up to camp. They were just like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do this anymore. A couple of them were scholarships. A couple of them were, you know, walk-on dudes. But they were really light on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't a great defensive lineman. You know, like even, I, even coming out of high school, I always felt like I was a better offensive lineman. The thing was just like, oh, you're not big enough, you know, to do that. Uh, by the time my sophomore year, I, was, I got about 275, 280. And the coach kind of came in. And at this point, we had three defensive tackles. It was myself. It was, uh, you know, a kid named Josh Hunt, who was a year older than me, almost the same body type. Like Josh was 6'4", 280. And then we had Jason Jones, who Jason Jones actually ended up 
Uh, he was a second-round pick. He played, I think, seven or eight years in the league. Tennessee played Detroit, Seattle for a little bit. Good, good fucking athlete, man. Uh, we knew Jason wasn't moving because he was a stud. So it kind of came down to me or the other kid. They're like, we need one of you to move this tackle or to, to offensive line. And Josh was older, and he had this seniority. He's like, I ain't moving. I ain't doing it. <laughs> and they're like, I didn't really have a choice. They're like, TJ, we need you on offense. And actually, my old line coach, you know, Chris Simonton, was also, man, awesome, man, Simo. He was like, you want to go – you want to play freaking 25 snaps a game on defense, or do you want to come play fucking 70 on offense? Like, you want to play the whole damn game, or you want to rotate, you know? That's what they like, told me. Like, you want to play the whole game or play a few snaps? Yeah, and I'm like, that was kind of a selling point. You know, when I already had the offensive line back background from playing in, in high school and being all state in high school. So I'm like, you know what, dude, let's do it. And I thought I thought the first day of camp, like first couple weeks, I'm like, oh, they're going to transition me, like learn the playbook, you know, take a couple reps here and there, try to get the take. First fucking drill, TJ, starting right tackle. And I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> like, So it was like – it was fight or flight, man. I had to figure it out on the run, but it was the best thing, obviously, that ever happened to me, uh, you know, switching over to offense. But I will tell you, man, I tell people this all the time. Like, we started doing it in Green Bay a little bit where it was Coach McCarthy called it, like, cross-training. So we would go sit in with the defensive line for, like, two days, right, and we would all watch film together. And the offensive line could hear about the defensive line and their techniques and their assignments and their jobs. Uh, well, I got that early on in my career because playing defense you know for in college for a year taught me about defenses it taught me about you know gap responsibility it taught me about uh you know coverages and pressures and how you try to cheat things and cover up and so when i moved to offense i would look for that shit naturally i'd be like okay why are they in the under front okay it must be because there's a weak pressure kind of, or you know this dude's a three tech I know he's going to do everything he can to stay in that B gap. Like that's his assignment. So I'm going to use that to my advantage, you know? And so I, it, that really helped me out a lot understanding what the defensive linemen are taught, what they're supposed to do every single play. So I could almost use like that reverse psychology and say, okay, I know he's going to do everything he can to stay in that gap. Let me try to overreach him and then hip toss his ass. Cause I know I could use his momentum doing that. Right. So that helped me out a ton, man. That, that really did. And, and just going over there, not knowing the technique, not really knowing the fundamentals, just basically relying on it, – it's just a dogfight. I just got to go win my fucking block. No matter what it looks like, I got to be physical. I got to be aggressive. Like, that's where those two traits that ended up, you know, even after my 10-year career being still some of my strengths, those were taught to me at a very young age because that's all I had to go on. That's what That was the base foundation of my start of playing in the offensive line world. No, no doubt. Dap to die, right? Shit. You, yeah. you done, man. You figure you got, it out on the fly, man. You figure it out or you sit down. Um, and greatest feeling ever. You see these guys yesterday uh, celebrating in Kansas City and they're doing it. Um, what do you what do you uh, what do you got going right now? Are you with the Lions radio broadcast team or no? Yeah. So the last couple of years I've been doing um, sideline for the radio broadcast. And I've been enjoying it, man. It's been awesome. Like I, when I first got done, uh, I obviously, you know, playing 10 years, I didn't want to do anything right away. I had a couple people that were like, man, we, you'd make a good coach. You know, you want to get into that? And I'm like, hell no, I don't want to go work 20 hour days right now. You know, plus I got three little kids at home. So I'm like, I've got to find something that, you know, just time appropriate. And a couple years ago, I actually was supposed to start during the 2020 season. We all know that was a, you know, jacked up season just from covid um you know nobody allowed nobody at the games nobody on the sideline no it basically just empty stadiums 
Um, so we started in 21 and I just started doing sideline for the radio broadcast team and uh, had a lot of fun with it, man. That first year was, it was kind of the same as, you know, shit. When I switched from defensive line to offensive line, it was like, here's a microphone, figure it out. You know, and it was like, all right, let's go. Uh, last year, this past season ended up being a lot of fun because, uh, you know, obviously with the Lions finishing eight and two, their last 10 games, making some noise, like that was the first time where it's like, man, like we get to call real freaking games, man. Like these are fun, you know? So that gave me, uh, that gave me something to do on the weekend. And obviously, and, and, and more importantly, kind of keep me around the game a little bit without having to, you know, work like seven days a week and doing crazy shit. Like I, I was still in the locker room talking to guys, talking <clears> to <throat> coaches. Like it was a good way for me to feel like I was involved still a little bit around the team and around the game and, you know, traveling, going to games, going back to Green Bay. I mean, just a lot of fun. I've been enjoying that. And uh, I'm not sure what it's going to look like this year. I mean, we got plenty of time to figure that out, but. That, that's been a lot of fun still being around and, you know, obviously talking ball, you know, being on the radio. That's just been, that's just been a blast. You think Detroit's heading the right uh, direction with MCDC and all that? Do you think that's all, he's the right guy there? I do, man. I do. I really do. I thought, you know, shit, even, you know, at the point of the season where they were one in six, I mean, they were a different one in six than maybe like a Houston one in six, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw like Detroit, you're like, man, like they're so damn close, you know, one play here, one play there, like that's, and I know you could say that about a lot of teams because NFL so damn close every week in, week out, but uh, it just felt different, you know, and especially those last 10 games, like it didn't feel like a flash in the pan, you know what I mean? It didn't feel like they were some lucky team and getting every single break and getting every call going their way. Like it seemed like something that was real, you know, and yeah. uh, I think for the players, for the coaches, for the fans, like that was a wake up call to be like, the 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 bar has officially been raised you know what i mean and obviously momentum from year to year doesn't carry over in the following season you got so much damn change over whether it's coaching staff whether it's 20 new rookies on the team you know what i mean like they weren't there last year they didn't go through that but what it does is set it sets a new expectation it sets a new standard from the day you walk in that building you're no longer walking into the detroit lions that were you know, three and 13 and okay. Like you kind of get that mentality of, okay, we're not great. You know, like whatever. Right. You kind of set that expectation and, and, and raise that bar. I mean, everybody's going to understand that from the day they walk back into that building in April and it'll be exciting to see what happens, man. Like it's just uh, it's a good time to be a Lions fan right now. I know there's a lot of excitement. I know MCDC certainly, you know, he's taken his shots the last couple of years. Uh, about being the guy or not but honestly i feel like those last 10 games um and even that last one man that last one was so damn big i know you find out what 30 minutes before the game that you know the seahawks won and the season's gonna be over they had nothing to play for green bay had everything to play for you know and they still came out they were the more disciplined team they were the more aggressive team and they went out to green bay and got a win man like that was the final stamp on like shit, I think we might have something special here. You know, I think I think they do. Now, they're going to have to make some big moves this offseason. They've got some good draft capital, a little bit of room in the salary cap. But I think this is a team, man, that, that can make some noise. And honestly, I think, JB, the biggest part, too, is you take a look around the NFC. Like, I know the Eagles obviously had a great year. Um, 10 unrestricted free agents, though. Right, but I, I'm saying, like, you, you look around, like, I know San Fran, like, they got a huge question at quarterback. You know, Purdy's going to go through some surgeries. Trey Lance, that guy. Um, who else in the NFC really kind of 
you know, is is a juggernaut, right? Seahawks. I mean, they get a couple of good early tra- draft picks uh, to capitalize. Geno Smith is he the guy? I mean, they got some answers. Right. But it's not the AFC though. You look at the AFC. You got the Chiefs. You got the Bills. You got the Bengals. You know, you got these young. Jacksonville upstart. Yeah, right. Even the uh, the Chargers. You know, like they're a young team that's like, damn, like that's a gauntlet over there in the AFC. I think the, in the NFC. If the Raiders get a Rod, right? That's what I'm saying. I think in the in the NFC for the next, you know, shit, three, four, five years. Like this could be a chance for some teams to to really make some noise and take big steps, man. And Detroit before you get out of here, I gotta ask, man, if you had to predict, where does Aaron Rodgers end up? Ah, uh, man, if you would ask me that like six months ago, I was one of the only people that was like, I don't think he's gonna be back in Green Bay next year. And people were like, oh, there's no way the cap hits too much. You know, Green Bay can't do that. Um, now, like the last couple months, I'm being like. Shit, you know, like I, I could see him going somewhere else, but it all depends on what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. And this kind of ties into what I just said. If he wants to win another Super Bowl, I think his best chance of doing that is staying in Green Bay because what we just talked about of the NFC, right? Uh, you got, okay, you got a couple teams like San Fran and you put, you know, I think Eagles are still going to be good. They're getting a little older, but like you got a good chance in the NFC to go on a run, right? You go to AFC to win the Super Bowl, you got to go through all those teams I just mentioned. You got to be with Mahomes. You got to be four or five juggernaut teams to get there, you know? So I think if he wants to win another Super Bowl, I think his best option would be to stay in Green Bay and and let them add a couple more pieces. Uh, but if they do make a move, um I think the Raiders probably make the most sense, you know? I think they're probably for him uh, you know, the Jets are in, in, in enticing as well. I mean, they've got some youth over there. They, they've got a pretty damn good defense. But, you know, to get a chance to go play with Devontae again, I mean, we all saw what connection they had, you know, the last three, four years. I mean, that was special. So for him, that might be uh, the most enticing place uh, to go uh, to go try to win. It's just going to be a gauntlet over there in the AFC, bro. I'll tell you one quick story, though, man. I, I remember, and I'm not trying to throw anybody on blast here by, by saying this, but you know, there was a time in Green Bay where, you know, we would watch like the Patriots. This I'm talking like 13, 14, 15 these years. And we're watching the Patriots. We're watching Tom Brady basically win Super Bowls with like, you know, nobody at wide receiver. Like, really, you know, like free agent running backs. Like, dudes just rotating in. Right? Yeah. And I'm and we all used to sit there and be like, damn, man, look at the talent we have. You know, like Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, like all these studs. And we used to kind of joke about it, and I'm not trying to bash any of the coaches in Green Bay, but as players, you kind of joke about it. You're like, man, like imagine if we had freaking Josh McDaniels calling our players with our offense, you know, like how explosive we would be, you know, like how how how, how much more explosive we would be. So I kind of go back to that, and I'm like, man, I wonder if Aaron remembers that, you know, because now there's a chance that, hey, Vegas is popping up, Josh McDaniels, Devontae Adams. I'm like, shit, man, could be, you know, could be. But, you know, time will tell, I guess. We'll yeah, probably know I, the answer in the next month or two. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see for sure, man. No doubt. Man, I, we got to do this again, man. Are you going to be back on with Pat and the boys anytime soon? Yeah, I, man, I, I, I hope Pat hasn't gotten too big for me, brother. I love talking to those dudes, man. man so I look, to, I look at that shit. I, I know. I look at his lineups now, and I'm like, yeah, it's hard to compete with those guys. <laughs> but I told Pat, man, I'm I'm free. This is my time. I I love enjoying talking to those guys, man. I enjoy it. Pat's obviously uh, uh, one of the best dudes. His whole crew over there, you know, AJ obviously playing with them for so long. Like 
Those yeah. are my dudes, man. So I, I tell them, hey, I'm not going to bother you. But, you, must, you know, the phone line's always open. Yeah, so exactly. I was, well, I was up for having thing. a good time, brother. I said the same shit to him, man. I, I fuck with him all the time. I'll send him a text message and shit, weird shit here and there, fucking with him. But, uh, no, nah, I said the same thing. Man, I appreciate you coming on this morning, man. Uh, we got to do it again one time and get together, man. I got I to gotta send you some cigars, man. All right, JB. I would appreciate that, my brother. Always good talking to you, my friend. Hey, you too, brother. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Have a good weekend. You too, man. Later. TJ Lang, and we go right to another O-line, D-lineman, Matt McChesney. This show is action-packed. I appreciate everybody joining me. Matt, what up? Morning. What's happening? What's happening, man? Uh, I see you in the grind back there working. Uh, who do you agree with TJ? You play both positions, both sides of the rock, of the football. Do you put any stock into this uh, this Super Bowl side deal? Uh, I'm the only one that came out on with Sean. I said, "Hey, dog, I'm an offensive guy, but I do know for a fact bad fucking footing slows D line play. I, I don't want to hear it." TJ said exactly right. He goes, "It pretty, but I would love to have played a edge rusher on a fucked up field." Do you agree? Uh, yeah, the, the field was atrocious, and I understand that Kansas City had to play on it too, but it's it's kind of surprising to me as the week goes on and more information comes out that Philadelphia was changing their cleats like hotcakes. Everybody was. Three times. Yeah, and Kansas City didn't change their cleats at all. So what did Kansas City know that everybody else didn't know? And – that mixed with the fifth down in the AFC title game, mixed with the Chris Jones makeout session with Goodell afterwards, it just mixed with the penalty. Like it, <laughs> it's just getting a little bit too smoky, you know. Like you can't tell me it's not fire if there's this much smoke, bro. Like I understand that it's just conspiracy theory and all that bullshit, and nobody wants to hear it. And I'll shut up about it at, when the week's over. But, dude, like, <laughs> what's the next thing going to come out? Like, the fucking Kansas City, the, the head ref for, for the the crew, his, like, brother-in-law with Paul Rood, who's a huge Kansas City fan. So, like, <laughs> I just – it is what it is, well, bro. This guy right here, the, the, the guy that actually did the side in the field? I mean, is he wearing Kansas City gear? Yes, he's a Kansas City fan. It's a known thing. So this is this is. You didn't know this thing. You didn't know this story. No, I th I think that people should be impartial here. You're working for the NFL. You don't work for the Chiefs. I, I, oh man, it really the the whole fanboy thing really bothers me when we're talking about football, JB. It drives me fucking nuts. I'm with you. Uh, hey, you, 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 you were good yesterday. Barstool did a whole thing on this guy right here, this fucking uh, sod master guy. He's been he's been employed by the NFL for forty years as the main field guy, and I brought on my buddy. I have my buddy man that that's done NFL fields and he does a lot of college fields, and he said, "Let me tell you something, JB. That guy's been around a long time. He's employed by the NFL, but I'll tell you, there was entirely too much paint on that football field." Well, yeah. I mean, how do you fuck up grass like? And it was outside, right? You do it outside, you bring it in. And yeah, and, and I, I mean, I understand the scientific nature of it, and everybody trying to get ahead of it. All that said, like I don't see how you can fuck up grass. Like, 
I played on an unbelievable surface in college and, and you know, the, the surface in New York was turf and terrible. The surface in Miami was like the short crab grass and fast as shit. And then the surface in Denver was always fantastic. So I don't know how you fuck up the grass, but they definitely did. Um, and if anything, it'll just promote the, well, we're just going to play on turf and none of these guys want to play on the field turf anymore. Field turf is not good for you. So Hopefully they can learn from this, but the National Football League has a severe, like, learning and listening problem. Like, they don't, they're, they're just there at the meeting. They're not really, like, engaged and trying to change anything. They're there because they have to be, regardless of the situation. So, Do you like this? Uh, the, the, the Chiefs are, are talking that shit. Um, as an O-line guy, you like it, but then you know that the D-line was fucked by the turf, and you, you're kind of like, I know you, Matt McChesney himself, has to be a bit torn, just like T.J. Lang was. He was like, look, I played D-line too, um, but I do like the nastiness of it. But also, it wasn't on a fucking fair playing field. For, uh, for, for a team that has 78 sacks, there's a reason they didn't have no sacks. Why can't nobody understand this? Well, can't, look, Kansas City's offensive line is the reason they didn't have sacks. Not everything is just attributed to slipping. Kansas City also had to pass rush there, and they, they didn't do anything either. So both offensive lines played really well. Yeah, they did. The field was terrible. It, it kind of is what it is at this point. It's just another line of excuses. It's like – Super Bowl 57 is the excuse bowl. Like, every fucking time you turn around, somebody else has got another excuse about why something happened or why someone lost or why someone won, so on and so forth, to the point where I forget, like, even what we're talking about in the, in the conversations because everyone's so wrapped up in the conspiracy theory part of everything. So, look, they've got to figure this out. I don't know how you can consistently screw something up literally every year. Last year, if I remember correctly, they were talking about the paint and how slippery it was in L.A. So that was on turf with slippery paint. Like, why does the Super Bowl have to turn into an ad? Just play the fucking game. We don't need Super Bowl 57 from the 20 to the 50 and then a huge logo and another Super Bowl 57 to the goal line. And I know that that's over-exaggerating, but God almighty, that was a lot of paint. <laughs> I mean, it, it it blows my mind. I I uh I went oh, back and I I showed TJ know. this clip and, and uh, what'd you say? Why do we need all this paint? Yeah, I wanted to show you this clip right here because I I attend, I'm gonna make it big for you. That's what she said. I'm gonna um I wanna I wanna uh let me put uh. I wanted to just I test the song the, the game start by Smith number 65 ripping off uh you know Patty LaBelle's helmet. I mean I mean I mean Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox helmet. Um aka Patty LaBelle. When he ripped his helmet off right here, right mm -hmm. there, I thought that was a tone setter. And you you know better than anybody. Is that a possible tone setter saying, fuck you, you guys had 78 sacks, we're here to stay. And and, and the next series, uh, Matt, when Kansas City was on defense, dog, the safety bamboozled Smith out of bounds, and they were, like, standing over him. And they're, 
I thought they brought their fucking uh, um, we're we're gonna we're here, motherfucker attitude, and yeah, I don't man. think the Eagles ever matched it. I, I I dig it. I like that kind of nasty shit. I'm surprised it didn't get flagged, just because of the refs and how flag happy they are. But they weren't really flag happy in this game until the infamous play. Now I saw a different view last night from NFL films where you can blatantly see him pull the fucking thing. So, but I still don't know if it's up. I don't know if it's catchable, though. I think the ball is like 20 yards over Juju's head. That's why I think the conspiracy out there is that it was a holding call, not a P.I. call, because if they call P.I., then they say it's not catchable. The the, the flag has to be reneged on. Um, but I mean, it's it, fuck, man. It, it turned out to be what it is. So I dig the chippiness. I dig the nastiness. I hope these two open the season next year if they play each other. I don't know if they do. Um, but I'd love to see these two open up on Thursday Night Football in Kansas City or in Philadelphia. That would be fantastic. Um, but, you know, look, man, it's when you go out and rip Fletcher Cox's helmet off on the first snap and he doesn't fight back, essentially, that is a ding, 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 ding. like that's a big time Tom Setter. Big time. Oh, yeah. Um, do you agree with this? Because I'm if I ever coach again, I'm gonna blow this picture up and I'm gonna show these little enabled fucks. This is what this kid did um to to win a Super Bowl. Um, you know, everyone that we coach nowadays or teach or talk to, you know damn well that the motherfuckers will they would have scored. So what what's your take on that? I had two NFL guys on. You're the third NFL guy on today. And they were like, yeah, man, that's a tough sell right now because most kids would have wanted to tell their kids I scored in a Super Bowl over I won the Super Bowl. Uh, how do you feel? I feel if he would have scored, they still would have won. Um, and I, selfishly, I needed him in a parlay to score there, so I lost because of that. But take that away. <laughs> Take that away, and, and it's a smart football play. You know, it's it's a winning football play. And you only have that position. You're only in that position because of the work put in and, you know, all the sacrifices in the game. So it's smart by McKinnon. Um, you know, he's another guy in that running back room that comes in and really, really maximizes himself and gets the most out of his ability. Uh, EB does not get enough credit for that either, the rotation of the backs. Um, and, and look, good for McKinnon, man. I think that the the story of of being the ultimate team player and not being a selfish, you know, touchdown scorer in that situation, I think that's an even better life lesson that he can tell his kids later in life than just scoring. But that's also people don't want to talk about. It's ultimate respect for Andy Reid. Like people don't realize there's you can talk about all. Oh, the fear factor. He, he, I call it fearing of letting your coach down, not fearing an ass ripping. There's two different fears. Fearing an ass ripping in a Super Bowl, he may have said, I'll take this ass ripping. I'm scoring. He feared to let Andy Reid down, in my opinion. That's why he did that. And there's a complete difference in that. I think a lot of people don't realize my players didn't fear me for cussing them out. They feared me for letting me down, contrary to everyone's belief. The ass rippings in between all that is when you develop some tough skin and build relationships as you do every day, ripping your kids' asses and getting them going. I believe at the end of the day, they're going to come thank you like they do. But these, 
These Twitter fuckers don't realize that shit. I mean, I, we were doing it at 5 a.m. this morning. It's, you know, I, I posted something on Twitter talking about, like, this morning was like a babysitting session. Like, at, attendance, at some point, attendance doesn't count anymore. You're expe- you're expected to work on your craft. Like, if you're only an attendance guy, I'm here to check the box. Yeah, we're not here to take roll anymore either. Take fucking roll. Like, this isn't, this isn't history class. So, you know, it's... I always have to look at the the players sometimes and be like, do you really think you're in trouble right now? You're being coached. Do you want me to like walk up to you and be like, listen, sweetie. Yeah, no shit. I, I need you to do a better job using your hands and make sure, make sure that when he steps down, you step down. It's called reading your key. You know what he's going to do, Matt? He's going to go like this the next play. He's going to look at He's going to look at me like I'm fucking crazy, number one, because he's going to go, what in the hell is going on with this guy? This is super weird. So, I mean, do you want me to just coach and be who I really am? Or do I have to, like, every single parent and kid, high school, college, and now in the NFL, do I really have to bend over backwards to make make sure your child can fit into the system? Or is it y'all's job and your kid's job to work his ass off to fit the criteria and the expectations? of said system so you know mike tomlin always says the standard is the standard and i i agree with that wholeheartedly like we will never change the way we do things in here for anyone i had a like brian martinez in the chat i had a four-star recruit in here this morning with multiple offers who cheated his reps and he got bitched at and had to run the same way that the freshman that can't count that cheated his reps had to run so you have to have the ability as a coach to push everybody and really get on them when they don't do something right. And you can't play favorites because then the rest of the team's going to go like, Oh, well he can get away with anything. Why can't I? And that that's a bad look. Like Brian Martinez in the chat said, he goes, you know, they got the only here. So I don't get fine mentality now. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of kids like that. But look, on the other side, there's a lot of really good, hard-working ass-kickers, too. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I just don't see that because I'm not with them anymore like you. And I, I, I work with them every day, so I, I see them overcome an awful lot. Now, I'm biased because I've just got a small group of my guys. I can't speak for the whole country, but I'm, I'm pretty – I'm pretty hard on my group because, like, I flat rate everything. So, like, you pay once, and then you get to come for the whole year as much as you want. All your recruiting is handled. You know, you, you, it works out to, like, if you come three or four times a week, it's, like, $40 a session. So, it's, like, stealing, essentially. And if you do things right and you maximize it, like, there's no limit to how good you can be. But I always tell the kids and the parents in the meetings, like, the consults I have today, I'm going to tell them, like, look. This isn't for everybody. I'm not trying to sign you up to like go, you know, just just be here. And this is a spin class. You know what I'm saying? So the reason I flat rate everyone is so you can fail. It's so you can come here and fall flat on your face. And when you leave to get in the car with mom and dad or you drive home and you walk in and they go, how was it? And you go, man, it was rough. A lot of these parents and kids will be like, oh, well, you don't have to go back. Fuck it. It's too hard. We'll find somebody. They will find something that fits you better. And I look at that and go, that's a cop out. You can't just train. You can't transfer and transfer and quit and transfer and quit and transfer. Like at some point you got to like muster up 
and you know, reach down, grab your balls, and go, I'm a man, and fucking move forward. So the ability to fail and know that you have to come back is what college in the NFL is. How many times can you get your ass kicked and then fucking get up, stand straight, look them in the eye, and go, I'm going to fix this, and go fix it? And it's such a great opportunity. I don't think people understand the importance of being able to fail and still move forward and how important it is for young athletes. Like the only thing that motivated me is the number one thing that motivated me, not the only thing. The number one thing that motivated me was I don't want to look like an asshole on film and I don't want to fail. So if I have to, I'm going to do everything I can to never let that happen to me again. And, you know, some guys fail on film and never show up again. They quit. It's the reason coach I film everything. I don't just film everything to send to coaches. Of course, that helps. But I film everything so the guys that I'm working with know what it's like to be fucking ostracized and criticized by a bunch of fanboys that are in mommy's basement with Cheeto-covered fingers pounding Mountain Dew Code Red at 7 in the morning, like beating away on a a keyboard because they've never played or coached. All they've done is sit up there and all the players. So... The ability to understand that fans, it's why I don't read comments. Like anything I post, I don't fucking read any of the comments, dog. Like I don't give a shit what fans say. No offense. I love y'all, but I don't care. So, you know, it's the ability to understand you're the man or the woman in the arena. You're what's important. They came to see you. Make sure you act like it. Hey, do the do this, do the slurp thing again. Top 10 O-linemen of all time. Uh, we only have 10. Two starting O-lines. No tight ends attached. We're going to go into battle. We got two O-lines. I'm going to give you my 10 and feel free. I'm going to go one by one. Please just critique my my 10 one at a time and then just tell me where you would change them or who you would add in. Did so I posted today. I'm going to start number 10, Walter Jones, friend of the show. He's been on the show a few times. Good dude, good friend of mine. Uh, freak show, Juco alumni. He's your left tackle. What is that? He's your left tackle. Well, my, uh, my second unit. Okay. So, Walter Jones, uh, I got to – and I'm really just going through the, t- the t- 10 O-linemen that I think are the greatest of all time. So – this is just my opinion. Um, so are you going to put guys out of position? Yeah, I'll kind of <laughs> just put them as a as a as a body instead of a position. Um, Jackie Slater, number nine. Um, Jackie Slater, uh, in my opinion, uh, got to got to hang out with him quite a bit. He was coaching JUCO out here in Cali. Um, played in a little bit of a different generation. Got drafted, I believe, in '77 by the Rams. He actually lived with my grandmother at her house, rented a room uh, as a rookie for the Rams. Um, I thought he was transcending. Uh, number eight, I got Willie Rofe, uh, 11 Pro Bowls, 13th season. He's been in an all-decade team twice. Uh, I think that's him? special. I got Randall McDaniel, 12th. Where, where, where are you putting Willie? Huh? Where are you putting him? I, I, well, I'm just giving you the, the the ten. I'm not really putting them. I'm not really going by position. I'm just giving you my favorite ten linemen of all time. So, okay, you know what I mean. You could do you could do that. Uh, and I and I for everybody out there, Matt is Matt is making great points because 
usually if we would have did this as a coach, we would have had to have had him by position. I just picked the best 10, uh, in my opinion, of all time. Randall McDaniel, I thought, could play because of his versatility. He played all the positions except probably not left tackle. But uh, I got Orlando Pace at six, uh, just a freak show. I got Bruce Matthews at five. I got Jonathan Ogden at four. I got Will Shields because I got to play with him at three. Uh, just nasty as fuck, smart, legendary guy. I got Larry Allen at two. I grew up with him. And I got Anthony Munoz at one. What is – uh? What do you what do you don't like? Um, look, all great players, but I I'm a huge like I, I want position and swing, you know. Left, I, I don't want to put a guy like Willie Rofe at guard when he's so good at tackle. I mean, right. you've, got, you've got. I mean, you could definitely make two offensive lines, but there's going to be some. Bruce Matthews is the only real center you have on the entire list. And here, here's the guys I left out, Matt. I, I left out Art Shell, Gene Upshaw, Alan Fanica, to your point, Jim Otto, Dan Deardorff, John Hanna. Oh, I yeah. left some great ones out, I, you know, and I left a few centers out of there, obviously. Well, um, let me do this. I will have my top ten list because I'm going to do it with two different – I'm going to do two different starting fives. Today wow. on my TikTok page, I posted on TikTok and Instagram. I tagged you on both of these. I posted my top ten quarterbacks and my top ten safeties to to mirror the two positions. So tomorrow I'll do offensive lines and defensive line pass rushers, and we'll do you know there'll be five, the the starting five times two, and then the top ten. So you know essentially it'll be the top 10 interior defensive linemen, three technique, one technique, there'll be some crossover. And then the top 10 pass rushers, guys that are, you know, five technique, but there's a bunch of three techniques that are excellent pass rushers as well. So I'm so glad we're doing this. I love this shit. Look, Walter Jones at 10. Oh, he is, that motherfucker was so incredible. I know, um, man. That's just tough. Like It's such a hard list to, to even list. I'm Bruce Matthews at five. The only offensive lineman in history to make the Pro Bowl at every single position. Um, Two hundred ninety-two straight starts. Bruce Matthews had. Absolute animal. Larry Allen, highly regarded in my opinion as the best offensive lineman that's ever played. Uh, putting Anthony Munoz number one is absolutely correct. I mean that guy's a fucking animal too. I personally, I would have Larry Allen number one. I think he's the most not only intimidating offensive lineman ever, but what really sealed it for me, and if my if my computer dies, I'm sorry I didn't bring my charger today to the gym. But what set it off for me is when you know they had that interception and he tracked old boy like 70 yards down the field sprinting at how big he was. So you know we got great stories about Larry Allen too. I mean, fuck man, the the throwing pumpkins at his goddamn rhino rhinoceros at three in the morning and <laughs> i mean my, my thing is i grew up with them uh that's my boy kind of we grew up wearing white pros clubs together like i didn't want to put him at one for that reason i kind of just I, I i was like i can't show too much bias but you can you can show as much bias as you want that's the baddest man to ever play offensive line he, he is in my opinion he's the baddest motherfucker and, and i'm gonna tell you right now will shields Will Shields ain't far behind, bro. No, he's not. But, like, where's Gary Zimmerman? Where's Tom Nalen? 
Uh, where is where are guys like Dramani Dawson? Um, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting blown up by some production people um, on other shows saying, "Where's John Hanna?" I just did mention John Hanna. Hanna. Yeah. I did mention him, but I have him outside my top ten. That's just you know, me. Conrad Dobler just passed away. Where is that nasty son of a bitch? God, he was nasty. You know, like there's th- this line. There's so many great offensive linemen. It's too hard to put ten together, dude. It's impossible almost. Like. Offensive line is also a very – there's no stats. So you have to go off all pros and pro bowls to a point. But you've also, like, I, if I implore fans and people that love this game, really one thing I loved about TJ's interview was he was like, look, the importance of playing both ways and understanding what both sides are doing. All these offensive linemen used to do that. Like it's the reason I'm, and I don't mean to say this cocky wise, but it's the reason I'm so damn good at what I do. Cause I played defense my whole life and then got moved to offense in the league and had to figure this shit out. And it, I, I thought I knew football when I was playing defense. Nah, until I got moved to offense, I didn't really understand all of it. Like I was playing checkers over here on defense, one right. move, three technique, one technique, read your key. When I moved to offense, I was playing chess. And honestly, I probably should have moved to offense in college. But look, I was an all-Big all, all 12 player and nine sacks as a senior, so I'm not going to sit here and act like that didn't work also. It's just a matter of when you're looking at what they're looking for in the NFL, you know, that's why they moved me. 6'5", 320, runs 4'9", nasty, wants to fight everybody. But this is the difference. When I got to the NFL – Guys I was going against were either better athletes than me or equal. So Alan Fanica and Pete Kendall and Brandon Moore, all the guys I would go against in practice. And in college, I was murking offensive linemen that weren't good athletes. In the NFL, everybody's equal, right? So that then they look at it and go, okay, well, that's the difference between Fletcher Cox and McChesney. Fletcher's super explosive and can run and actually play that position. He has a competitive advantage on the offensive lineman, whereas Matt is equal with them. So let's move him to guard and center and see what we can get out of it. And players that are smart enough and heady enough to understand that the coach isn't trying to fuck you when he puts you in a different position. He's trying to maximize you. I have this conversation and I have it out with parents literally every day. I had another, I'm going to have another meeting tonight about it. Why do you want my kid to change positions? First of all, I don't. The coaches do. I just had a big tackle in here that went to Baylor last year. He walked on, already quit, uh, said I ridiculed him too hard. So he obviously he quit. But I'm. It, what really happened was he's trying to play tight end. He can't catch the ball and he can't run. And I'm like, okay, let's move your 6'6 ass to tackle and see if it fits. And he looked pretty good for a couple of days just to quit because he doesn't want – listen to this. <clears throat> he doesn't want negative body image. Like, I almost stabbed myself with my pen when I heard it, dog. Like, I don't want my body to look bad with my shirt off, so I'm not going to move to offensive line. And I, like, took offense to it. Like, dog, I'm 6'5", 320. I'm swole. What are you trying to say? All offensive linemen are fat pigs, you son of a bitch. Like, it made me super angry. So, like, that's – I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Like, how fucking soft and entitled – how much of a bitch are you? I don't want negative body image. 
Take you know why, right? Because when you get fat and sloppy and wobble body, you don't see your wee wee no more. Well, you, yeah, but that's that's fat dudes. That's not offensive linemen. Like Lane Johnson. Lane, Lane Johnson looks like a fatty to you. No. You see, Maliata. No. Orlando Brown Jr. Even him. Look at Orlando Brown Jr. at the combine. I was there when he when he worked out. Man, when he took his shirt off, his man his man boobs. All right, his what I call him bitch tits. Hung to his to his waist. It was like two two baseballs in long socks just hanging off his chest. It was like my nuts when I get out of the jacuzzi. <laughs> it's like long balls. I do like nuts. this. I tell Sean Salisbury. I <laughs> <laughs> so, but he's turned himself around. Like he's maximized his body and gotten a huge contract and really, you know, he's another Super Bowl champion. So. There, you can change all of this. I just couldn't believe it when I heard it. And that's not, he's not the only one. There's a bunch I of- gotta, I got to ask you for a favor. I got to ask you, I got to ask you for a favor. I'm going to piss myself in front of the show. So <laughs> I need Steve Kim to join you. Steve, you, <laughs> I need you to there talk about the line play. I'm going to remove myself, go take a piss. Please run the show. I'll be right back. Oh, okay. Hey, hey Matt, I don't know- uh, you were about the same age, sort of. I tell you one guy that Coach left out, that he got injured in a car accident, was never the same, but would have been a Hall of Famer. Eric Big Cat Williams of the Cowboys. Oh, he was so good. He he was the one guy that I saw that you he could put at right tackle against Reggie White. You never had to help him. Yep, he's the only guy I ever watched like beat up Reggie White. Right. Reggie White would actually look like, hey, referee, give me a little help. And that's the guy that – he was trending towards being at that upper, upper level. Then he got into that car accident, and then it didn't work, and it, it was never quite the same. And, and Matt, uh, John Hanna, it's interesting. I, I'd have him in my top ten. That guy was so dominant. They put him on the cover of Time magazine as the ultimate football player in the 70s. That's how good that guy was. Yeah, there's just not enough spots on the old line list. Like, I've got to really think about this. I'm going to have my top ten list up tomorrow. Um, I'm interested to see what Coach JB and, and you both think about the list I put out today on quarterbacks and safeties. Go check it out on Instagram before you guys talk because I'm, I'm about to get off here when he comes back in. Uh, but all the fans, everybody in the chat room, get involved, man. Yeah. Go check it out on Instagram. Check it out on TikTok. I'm sure Coach and Kim will talk about it. Uh, but guided quarterbacks and safeties today. Tomorrow I'm doing two two offensive lines. So a starting five, starting five, and then we'll do uh, top interior defensive linemen and then pass rushers. So pass rushers are going to go five, nine techniques, stand-ups, and three techniques. Oh, you're getting and deep interior, into it. Interior D linemen are four eyes, you know, threes, zeros, and ones. So we'll see. Matt, the uh, I, I've said this. I don't know if he was quite as good as I thought in the pros. The best true freshman offensive lineman I've ever seen, Orlando Pace. Yeah, he was an animal. I thought for three years he was the best player in college football. He's he was that good. Heisman, honestly. So yeah, right, well, I'll be back on tomorrow and right, uh, check out those lists. All right, man. All right, please. Hey, coach. Before we get started, as soon as we got off, I thought of one thing about the quarterback list. How could you not mention the great Johnny Unitas, the Michelangelo? The Thomas Edison, yeah, I get it. He played in black and white. You know what? Would we not rate Babe Ruth as a great baseball player because we never saw him play? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Let me, let me say this. 
let me equate this to somebody to something. This is true story. All right. I can prove it because I have pictures, but other than that, there was no film. My grandfather, Bill Brown, senior, William Brown, senior, my dad's father, was a Navy pro boxer in the Navy. He had no teeth, by the way. He had no teeth. He uh he had a titty, he had a he had a naked say a woman on tattoo on his forearm. He was born in 1900. He died in 95. He he was Dizzy Dean's roommate. He played for the St. Louis Browns. Um, he played against Satchel Pays in the Negro League and played in the major league. He struck Babe Ruth out three times. Mm. Is my point. And I have I can show you, but he was the worst athlete I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> so can I please equate this to the eras mattering? Babe Ruth literally hit more home runs than the whole league. Yeah, that's great. That makes a hell of an uh, argument, don't it? I guess. Other than the fact, I think that you're, I, I think that you're a relative that was the boxer needed to duck more if he had no teeth or wear a mouthpiece. Like, uh, geez. But anyway, Johnny Unitas basically invented modern day quarterbacking. Called his own plays, ran his own offense, set his own. Come on. Johnny Unitas should get emeritus status, coach. I mean, I get I it. You could, could grandfather him in, but I mean, mediocrity is the new excellence. So I don't, I get it. Man. I get it. He's the Atari 2600, and all you play is PS5. But anyway, let's get to your running back because I know you're going to piss off people in Dallas. I, I, I've been I'm waiting kidding. for this. Oh, I've been waiting for this one. You're an Intellivision guy. You have to be. You're my era. We were well, I'm more of a, I'm more of a, of a, an Odyssey Magnavox guy. That's what my parents got me. Odyssey was pretty good, though. Very underrated. KC Munskin. Odyssey was fun. It was a fun game. Before that, though, remember ColecoVision and Adams? Oh, before that, it was Intellivision. No, Intellivision is what I said. Intellivision was my first. It was a round disc. It was a yeah. round disc remote. Yeah, Intellivision had... A great hockey game. They had a good sports game. I remember. Asteroids. Yeah, George Plimpton would do the commercials. It was good. Then there was Atari 5200, and then came Sega and Genesis and all that. But yeah, Atari 2600. You got to respect where it started with Pong and Breakout. Good games. I got good some. I got information. I got some some film. I want to show you real quick. Yeah. All right, Anthony Richardson. I want to break this. Released. Hmm. Everybody's talking about how great that looks. Is it really great? Let me show you this guy, Will Levis. Hmm. The whip. Hmm. Big difference. I want to be clear here. I want to make sure everyone sees there is a huge difference. That is more like this. That's more like that guy's release, right? Uh, Coach, I'm just, I want to say it to you again. I like that he was drunk and fucked up. Good, good for him. If I had that brother and that wife, I'd get, I'd get that way too. But anyway, look, the thing with Levis, he looks great in shorts and t shirts throwing against cones. Put on the, I can't wait till you and Sean break him down because I, I think you'll be underwhelmed by his decision making and football IQ. Richardson's the type of guy, athletically, he is superior. You have to let him grow and learn the job for about two, three years. I'll just leave it at that. You guys are the experts. 
Hopefully you can confirm what I'm saying. No, we're going to – I can't wait to get into that. Um, LeBron James played last night, Steve, for the simple fact, in my opinion, <laughs> he played because he the scrutiny that he would have taken if he just shows up to the All-Star game and plays while he's been on – Yeah. He's been at a Super Bowl. He's been at two parties. <laughs> Grammys. All since scoring two points in the fourth quarter where they lost – the day he broke the record. Look, I think we all know what this is about. This is about padding the stats, everything, just to do enough to be in the news and to do branding. Um, the Lakers are still below 500, right? Yes. Wow. So there's a good – well, wait, the West, they're going to make the playoffs though, right? I don't know. They're right now. They're a play-in type of guy. They're not even in right now. I don't believe they're the 13 or 14 or whatever the fuck. So think about this. There's a chance that of the four years that he's been a Los Angeles Laker, take away one bubble title, which has an asterisk. There may be three non-playoff performances. That's a bust. The bust. Let's call Pat that for Beverly what it is. This. Pat Beverly said it wasn't basketball. It wasn't basketball. It wasn't basketball. It was other shit. But other shit that you really can't, like, pin or point out, you know, comes and goes, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. The vibes were sometimes on, sometimes off, inconsistently vibes. Uh, obviously, this guy got traded, so you never know. But all I know is every record that LeBron's broken, he's lost that game. You can't say that about Kobe. You can't say that about Jordan. You can't say that about Magic. They won the game. I, I just – I don't know if he cares more about – Anything but himself. Since he came to L.A. and joined this organization, it's been about the brand and it's been about business. I don't think it's been solely about basketball. I think it's very evident. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I got I to gotta ask you some politics. This kid oh, no. got kicked out of school. He said uh, he was arrested and kicked out because he said there's only two genders. Um he should get a fucking award, in my opinion. I would have made him school president, but the, this is the forced indoctrination of what is going on with their youth, and things like that are why younger parents who have a choice and the option, think about homeschooling. Because if you don't want your kid coming back with chopped up hair that's purple and that little nose ring thing, which I find it's always to be a sign, and uh, glass rims that are blue or red or green, that, that, that color thing, I'm like, oh, boy, that, 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 that right there is a sign. Uh, don't let them dare go to a regular school nowadays. I, I think you are really taking a risk of not getting back the same child that you sent into the world. Hey, I got a, I got a question, though. We, we got all these fucking electro, these electric uh, stove people that want to get rid of gas stoves. I'm, I'm wondering, I've been reaching out to all of them. They've, they won't respond, ironically. Where, where are you now with the Ohio Chemical Leak? And all right. Like, where are you guys at? I'm, I'm tripping out. Like, you guys wanted all this great atmospheric fucking, uh, oh, man, the atmosphere is getting uh, diluted. Let's go electric stove. Well, guess what? Ohio's fucking dying. Where are you at? Yeah, where's Greta Thunberg? <laughs> How dare you not show up, Greta? But all of, but she's peddling a new book, so obviously she likes capitalism. But you know, the same journalists that were talking about health and pushing vaccines and all that stuff, and 
where are they now to cover the overall health and safety of American citizens? It, it's it's one of the but the bottom line is this: they're not allowed to cover it. It's not approved, not part of the approved messaging. And if you look at what's gone on the last three weeks with these balloons and aliens being shot out of the sky, train wrecks, chemical plants exploding. Helicopter. Look at this helicopter falling out of the sky. No one's talked about the helicopter. I mean, this That's is, it. there's an old phrase. There are no coincidences in life. You know. Yeah, it's interesting to say the least. Tucson just had a chemical release. Russia had a whole plant blow up. I'm like, wait up. Why is nobody talking about that? I haven't seen Biden address the country yet. Um, all right, let's get let, let, let's stop bullshitting here. Uh, how do you like my old lineman? Um, how do you like my old line list? I didn't put them by position more or less. I put them more like since there is no stats in football in the O-line position, you have to look at the only stat you can really look at as an O-lineman, Steve, is how many sacks did you give up? There's not really anything other than that. And how many games you played consecutively, maybe how many games you missed, maybe your durability pro bowls. Obviously, if you want to use that stat line, um, Walter Jones at 10. I mean, dude, I, if it was a, I mean, he's unbelievable. I don't know if I could, you know, I don't know if I can move him around Orlando pace. I got at six, uh, you know, Larry Allen, I grew up with, Compton native. I mean, I got him at two, but Anthony Munoz was transcendent. So I, I don't know. Jonathan Ogden's in there. I mean, there's a lot of guys that were missing. Yeah, there's two. The one guy I would have put in because he was so dominant, and I was telling this to McChesney, he was thought of as the ultimate football player. He actually made the cover of Time Magazine as a guard, John Hanna. John Hanna, at his best, was the rock of Gibraltar. He set the standard. I don't have him in there. Yeah. The other guy that I think was trending to be there, and I said this to Matt again, he's the only guy I've ever seen. He was put on Reggie White, and he never needed help. But an auto accident ruined his career. Eric Big Cat Williams. There, there was a stretch of time. Ohio, Division Two. Yes, drafted by Jimmy Johnson in 92, I believe, part of that loaded draft class. And when he got it going for a two-and-a-half-year stretch, he was as good as they came. The other guy that I thought was really good, but he, and he made the Hall of Fame, but had a really short prime or career, Tony Baselli. Yes. But again, did not have the longevity of the guys you had. Longevity matters to me in these things. You have to. Baselli, Baselli, USC, Ogden, UCLA, very similar time frames. And then you had Anthony Munoz before both of those yeah. guys. Uh, all USC, UCLA. Another guy that I liked, Jim Lachey. I thought Lachey as a Redskin was great. He Great was. athlete, flexible, big. And if you want to talk about longevity, you know, we didn't mention. Alan Fanica. Fanica. Well, how about Trent Williams? I know. Trent Williams now. I, I For a dozen years, all pro. Now, because I'm going to let Matt do that tomorrow. We're going to talk about guys playing now who can move into this yeah. top 10 list. Trent could be, you know. The guy right here from from the Inland Empire plays for the Cowboys right now. He's a hell of a player. I'm just Tyron telling. Smith. Tyron, he could be yeah. a guy. I don't know. He's been injured though, so I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. And uh, you know, Arch Shell, Gene Upshaw, Jim Otto, Dan Deerdorf. Those guys played back in that that era that my grandpa struck Babe Ruth out in, though. Yeah, and you know, yeah, you almost like Matt made a good point. How do you compare a left tackle to a center to a guard 
to a right. It's it's hard. So you almost have to like you got you have to be really with the sexy appeal with the tackles. Right. So all right, let's stop bullshitting here. Um, I thought this out very very harsh. I, I really I held myself to a high standard with these twenty backs. Okay. I'm just letting you know right now. Like. Oh, no. I did the quarterback with the split 1A and 1B. I'm doing the same thing with the running backs. So you can call me a cop-out. I'm doing the same thing. Uh, 1A, 1B running backs, all right? So because I got to get number 20 on the list, Steve, and that is John Riggins. I have John Riggins. My top 20. He never missed games. He, 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 he only made the Pro Bowl one time in 15 seasons, and he yet holds a shitload of records. I think he's the only running back to have more rushing yards in his 30s than his 20s. People forget he was an afterthought in New York because Joe Namath was throwing the ball all over the place. But you want to talk about a big-game clutch runner with the Redskins, uh, the Diesel. By the way, he was fast. Not just fast for a white guy. He was just flat-out fast at 235 pounds. Absolute physical specimen. The great ghost. Um, number 19, I got Terrell Davis. 6,500 yards, 56 <laughs> touchdowns, MVP. Uh, he had a 2,000-yard, 21-touchdown season. He's one of the greatest ones we've seen. Won a Super Bowl. Terrell Davis, 19. Without the injury, I think he challenges for 15,000-plus yards. The best zone-blocking running back that Shanahan ever had. No one could read that hole, press it, and cut back on that one foot into the ground. Great vision and balance. If it wasn't for that injury, I think he was headed towards the top five to ten type of career. And that's all thanks to Alex Gibbs, one of the greatest O-line coaches of all time. Invented the zone. Invented the zone blocking scheme. Uh, 18, I got the bus, Jerome Bettis. Uh, 13 season. Oh. 13 seasons, Pro Bowl six times, averaged 1,000 yards a season, Steve, in one Super Bowl. Averaging 1,000 yards over 13 years is just what I put in there as, as availability and longevity and durability. He consistently churned out yards, built like a fullback, had really good feet. I don't want to say if it's too high or low. I want to see what the rest of your list looks like uh, to see who you do. You already put, put John Riggins above him. All things being equal, I put Riggins faster. Okay. Number More 17, big... your guy, Frank Gore. 16 seasons, third time, third ah. time, over 16,000 yards rushing. Um, he just wasn't that electric guy. He was more of a guy that just threw attrition, wore you down. And Coach, I got to put him in there because of that, but I can't put him much higher than that. Coach, look, he's going to Don Sutton his way to the Hall of Fame. Just consistently producing and being really, really good. But I will say this about Frank Gore, you talk about the electricity that he brought. We never saw him at 100%. The world outside of Miami fans and South Florida high school fans at Coral Gables High School to his freshman year at Miami where he averaged nine yards a carry. When he had both knees, he was literally a Barry Sanders-level-like talent. And I know the running back coach there for years, Don Solinger, great football man. He said he's the most intelligent, most instinctive football player he has ever seen. If he never gets banged up the way he did where both knees were surgically repaired, we're talking about a top-five running back. And the fact he even made it that long is a testament to the way he could think the game and his toughness. But I think you have this one about right. 
Uh, the thing about it, too, Hall of Famer, his son is playing now. At Southern Miss. Is he going to get in the league or make the league before his dad's inducted? Uh, that's a great question. You know, Frank Gore, a couple years ago, uh, Junior, when he was playing, I said, wow, how many guys in this game, not basketball, but in football, have a son that's in college while they're still technically in the league? That that may be a record that's never broken, at that's least not in the National Football League. All right, 16, Thurman Thomas. That could be a little low. I think Thurman's underrated because he never won a Super Bowl, but, but for a five-year stretch, especially the way he could catch the ball and get out into the, the, the themes, it wasn't just catching out routes. He was the perfect back for that up-tempo one-back. All-purpose season. Yes. I thought he was the great – he was the original Marshall Falk. I think this is a little low for the Thurmanator. Really? You, wanna, you, you would think he's higher? Yes, because he's got great feet. He could be an every-down, three-down back. But the fact that he could actually come out, you could flex him out a little bit. And it wasn't he didn't run as many routes as Marshall Falk as a receiver. But I'm just telling you, in the screen game, he could get down the seam. Great all-purpose back. Great I, I, I never, to me, he was a little stiff watching him compared to a guy like Marshall or LaDainian Tomlinson. Mm -hmm. I thought for a multifaceted guy like a Roger Craig, I thought those guys, I thought he was a little of more of the stiffer one of those guys. And I don't have Edger and James in my top 20. So then your list is garbage. That is terrible. I almost want to log off. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, Edgerin James. You got Edger and James over these guys so far? Yes. Yes. Oh. Edger and James at his peak, and he injured his knee in 2001, which was unfortunate. There was a stretch of time as he began his career. He was right up there with Jim Brown in terms of yards, per game scrimmage yards and he was a great pass pro because that matters but he had great feet great vision look at his overall numbers he's a better all-around back than jerome bettis he's a better overall back than jerome bettis but different style edron james wasn't asked to just run downhill he was more thurman thomas marshall fall he could run downhill you asked peyton manning who was most important that wasn't his sole destination well, when Peyton Manning lost Edron James in 2001, he had the worst year. That's the year that Jim Mora had the playoffs. Because you know why? He didn't have 32 to lean on. I just don't – I don't – here's the sole determinant, though, for him, for me. Because trust me, no. he's on my first guy left out. He didn't play long enough for me. What? The only guy that I have – I have two guys on wait, here that – Wait a minute. Well, then the, how was Terrell Davis in there? Hold on, though. I got two guys shorter than him because of his yard. I got two guys shorter on my list, you'll see later, that played shorter, of course. Right, than and Jim Brown's one of them. Edger and James' rookie year was in 99, and he played all the way till about 2009 or 10. You play over a decade as a running back, a three-down running back, which he basically was. That's a long career. The only guy that's under that right now is Terrell Davis. Okay. Everybody else played 13, 12, 15, 16 years. Well, Jim Brown played eight or nine. Right? No, he's the shortest. All right. Well, actually, I got another guy that's shorter. You're going to be mad. All right. So, um, all right. Thurman was 16. Number 15, probably one of the only older cats that I talk about my grandpa striking out Babe Ruth era. But I have to put him in there. I think the 
Korean Cosell would have uh, castrated me even more if I didn't have this guy on here. Gail Sayers. Yes. Uh, one of the most running backs Whoa. of all time, fastest. Uh, he played in an era that I don't really hold too high of regard, but we have to put him in there. The Kansas Comet. Uh, he, we were not blessed to see him in his prime for long. Before knee injuries were just like getting an oil change, but at his best, electric. Elect, he was magic. And like he said, 18 inches of daylight, that's all he needed. Yeah, um, got to have him in there. Number 14, 13 season, nine-time Pro Bowl, led the league in rushing twice, Super Bowl champ, and obviously the immaculate catch, Franco Harris. Franco Harris. I mean, I don't know if Jim Brown would have him that high, but big game running back, sprinter speed, played at his best when it mattered. Big guy, too. Big yeah. guy for the type of speed that he brought. Definitely. I think that's one of the easy ones to actually put in there. Rest in peace, huh? Yeah. Um, number 13, I got to move to one of the more guys that we were just talking about, similar to your Ezra and James type of back, LT. LaDainian Thomason, 11 seasons, led the league Ooh, in rushing twice, led the league in rushing three. Uh, durable, multifaceted guy. Um, I got to put him in there. He, he played 11 seasons, rarely missed a game. This seems low. This really? seems low because you want to talk about an all-purpose running back that can run any type of play, but you flex him out, and he was a touchdown machine, and he had unbelievable feet and wiggle and top-end speed. I want to see the rest of your list, but I I thought LT would for sure be one of your top ten. Really? Yes. If I don't have Emma Smith up in there, how would I put LT well, above him? Yeah, and by the way uh, – yeah, exactly. No one's right, listening. Perfect. Okay, let's get to this. All right, LT number 13, number 12, rookie of the year, comeback player of the year, MVP and Super Bowl MVP. The only guy to ever do that, Marcus, Marcus Allen. Allen. That, you know what? If it wasn't for Al Davis, um, he'd probably be higher. But he had that dark stretch of four years where he got benched for some reason. I've never understood that for a guy who just says, just win, baby. You have one of the most naturally gifted football players. Highest football IQ you could ever ask for. And you don't play the guy? Didn't you split time with Bo Jackson at one point? You split yeah, time well, with Barry Ward. He didn't split time. He played he, Kansas City. He played fullback. This is the greatness of Marcus Allen as a football player. He was a fullback for Charles White when he won the Heisman. Then moved to tailback and won the Heisman. Did everything you talked about. And then was forced to play fullback for Bo Jackson in the late 80s. That's a real natural football player and one of the best I've ever seen at the halfback option. Quarterback at Lincoln High School, actually, in San Diego. Yes, sir. Uh, student body right, student body left. Um, all right, here we go, man. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how to go from this guy to below this guy, a higher ranking, because you're going to shit, all right? So here we go, number 11. Emmett Smith. Oh, well, wait a minute. So, he's, so he rocketed into eleven. I told I you thought, this is out very well. I, I gotta have the all-time leading rusher, but I don't have him top ten yet. But right now, I got him at eleven. I mean, I'm not gonna argue because I thought you'd have him about thirty-nine. Well, you, you know, know, behind Wendell Tyler. Wait up! Is he not even on the list? Right. I mean, I thought you'd have him behind Ricky Waters at thirty-seventh or thirty-eighth. I just Look, the thing with Emmett is he doesn't wow you, but his ability, as Bill Belichick said, to stay ahead of the chains 
And contrary to popular belief, he actually had a lot of big plays. No, he wasn't Barry Sanders, but he could make people miss. And he ran physical on the inside. He was a very good pass pro guy. And he played his best when it mattered. But at number 11, I think it's a small victory for us. Because I thought you'd have him at about 49th. All Can't right, lie. so you're going to shit at number 10. I got, I got Tony Dorsett. I actually, look, when Tony Dorsett retired, I believe he was the number two all-time rusher. Remember, he was a very undersized guy to do what he did. Right, and Tom Landry would make sure that he was on a pitch count. Tom Landry was very judicious in his usage, smooth. I mean, not only did he have sprinter speed at the top end, man, but he was absolutely smooth. And, and in today's game, if he played today, he would be a version of Marshall Falk because you can get him out into the pass pro and he, he can run the uh, – he can run all, most of the route tree. I actually don't think you got this one wrong. I mean, if you look at where he played in his athleticism, and for his size, they protected him, but he was also pretty durable. I have no qualms about this one. Tony Dorsett was great. Number nine, the juice, O.J. Simpson. Too low. Too, look, are you are you not are you related to Nicole Simpson or the Brown family? What, what's going on here? Go guy, I love him. San Francisco, love him. I, I what he did. Um, San Francisco JUCO. I go way back. I watched the film. He might have been the greatest guy I've ever seen uh, play JUCO. Um, his 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 career also, man, short lived. What the juice? Yeah, I don't, I don't put him up there with these other guys because he of – He had a long career. And by the way, during his prime, there was about a five- or six-year stretch when it wasn't a he quarterback. He making commercials. His shit was over with. Okay. That being said, he earned it. The guy had 2,000 yards in a 14-game season. And when he was with the electric company, he was basically most of that offense. And you look at his splash reel. For a guy that was that big to be able to do what he did in a league where you could just murder people, I, I, I honestly, he might actually be in my Mount Rushmore of backs, believe it or not. Putting aside everything else. Yeah, I'm not, I don't judge him by off the field shit. I don't give a shit. I, yeah. Well, you'll see my list and yeah. then we'll argue it. Um, I love OJ, by the way. I think he is a great, but but I but I got some guys I think that just uh, for whatever for other reasons uh, surpassed them. Number eight, starting with number eight, Earl Campbell. All right, you want to talk about longevity because of his style? He had basically four or five great years, and he fell off a cliff. He became a vegetable. Yeah, right. So what happened to longevity? I know, but what he did uh -huh. in the time for me <laughs> on that team is unmatched. An absolute wrecking ball. One of the most physically violent and intimidating football players I mean, he ever. He his head every snap. What he did to Isaiah Robertson would actually be a penalty now. <laughs> but if you're talking about longevity and stuff of that nature, coach, come on. He was great his rookie year, and he was all the great, great till about 81, 82. But you're right. That physical style was not going to last. There's no sustainability. But top 10, yeah. Because at his peak, he was a guy nobody yeah, wanted to get in front of. The, the, the amount of time he played, the way he played, and what happened to him. Like, I have to weigh in these guys that you're going to have on this list that you're going to question, okay, the length that they played is not the length of these guys we already mentioned. 
but what they were to be. Yeah, I've never been seen before, in my opinion. Earl Campbell's one of those guys, and I got him at eight. I, 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 I flirted with moving him around, but let me ask you. Number seven, I got Adrian Peterson. 296-yard game, all-time not MVP. He holds the all-time season record. Um, those are very impressive things. You know, before he got injured, I thought he was Eric Dickerson-esque, um, upright style. I got him at seven. The only thing I would downgrade Peterson, one thing, loose with the football, had key fumbles. And that I know him and Biennemi used to almost want to kill each other on the sidelines. But one of the last of a dying breed of a true three-down workhorse running back was an absolute cyclone and the stuff he could do athletically. I remember the first time I saw him at the University of Oklahoma, I was like, wow, this guy is Special, like he had that Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson type um, mystique as a college player. Um, but the fumbles that just kind of bothers me. And he wasn't great in the pass game, was not great in the pass game, was not that all around guy. But certainly with the numbers that he created, big plays, no argument with him in the top 10. I got a funny story. Uh, having known Eric Bieniemy and stuff, and know a lot of these personal stories, nobody else probably knows. Do you know that he had Adrian Peterson locked up to come to UCLA? Really? He was UCLA bound, brother. Eric Bieniemy is a hell of a recruiter, so he had Eric. He had he had Adrian Peterson, and he flipped. He flipped Maurice Drew Jones last minute, and Adrian was like, "Fuck it, I don't want to split. I'm going to go to Oklahoma." And that's what happened. He was going to have both of those guys at UCLA. That would have been perfect because Peterson could have been the first and second down back, and Maurice could have been more of the third down scat back. That would have been a perfect situation. By the way, as a young kid, you don't want to be used up in college. When these NFL guys kind of evaluate you, when you have a lot of carries, they look at you as a car that already has 75,000 miles on the odometer. Sharing carries as a college back is not the worst thing. I, I used to get kids. That's how I used to out-recruit certain guys to get in that same pitch you just used. Number yeah. six, to me, I mean, I I, I hated putting him at six. I, I, I love him to death. Fan of the show. We've been on the show. Marshall Falk at six. Yeah. He revolutionized the position. He took it from where Thurman Thomas and Roger Craig, who were the dual-threat guys, and he went to a whole different level. He did what oh. Reggie Bush did in college in the league. Yeah. And his ability to basically play slot receiver when needed and to run every single route like a receiver and catch the ball naturally and even catch slants and just turn it up. I don't think any running back's been as good at him as that. And Mike March will tell you, football IQ of 500. Yep. Um, Very smart. I talked to him quite a bit. Uh, Number five. To me, one of the – listen – Talking on the field only. I don't. We we know the guy's a fucking idiot, and we know he is now weirdo Herschel Walker. You know, people are gonna say that you're overrating him, but if you actually look at his whole career, his number of yards, been another guy like him, right? And he actually late in his career, coach, was returning kicks. I know. And, and he was busting out 90-yard returns, and he still and, 
Right, and the guy ended up doing MMA at age 50 and held his own. I mean, at age 18, he was running over Billy Bates as a college freshman. He was a man amongst boys as the youngest guy in the field. And then at age 50, he's doing MMA, and just an amazing guy. Didn't fit the Vikings split-back system. I always thought they didn't do their homework on that. But that's interesting. So if you have Herschel, do you have Bo Jackson? Bo Jackson, number four. Wow, that high. Because we're talking about longevity, but you're going with Pete. Yeah, in my opinion, he is the single greatest athlete to ever play football, period. Over Deion Sanders. I believe he was a better baseball player than Deion. I believe he was a better athlete than Deion. I think he was just cut so short. I put it in. I weigh this out. I don't believe that ever we would have ever seen anyone ever like him ever if he didn't get hurt. Bo Jackson's ability to finish out a baseball season in early October, uh, basically do a bunch of jumping jacks and a few push-ups, and then put pads on the field and bust out 75-yard runs without a training camp. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And it's different than playing cornerback the way Dion did. It is. And he had the ability to just run right through people that were bigger than him and then only and never get I only saw him get chased down once. And that was against the Cincinnati Bengals. A guy by the name of Roderick Jones, who's a sprinter at SMU, had to dive at his feet at the two-yard line. And I was stunned that anyone ever caught Bo Jackson from behind. Yeah, so if you go by criteria, if you one game situation, would he be up there? Yes, and, and that that injury against the Bengals in the playoffs, we were robbed of a great gift of being able to watch him play. And I think it was the largest between. I don't know who's. This is another day for another deal, another conversation. But you can argue who we were robbed from the most, and I'll have a list for this, and I can't wait to do it with you. But Lynn Bias is on my list. Oh, absolutely. Bo Jacks, Earl Manigault. Uh, I got a list for that. We're going to talk about it one day. Um, number three, here we go. Three, two, one. I got Jim Brown, number three. Probably the Babe Ruth of running backs. And he was so far ahead of his time. I told this to Whitlock. He was probably two generations ahead of his time athletically. No one can do what he did. Um, physically dominant. He was mean. He was fast. He was technically listed as a fullback, but he was really a running back. Um, it was funny. My good friend Larry Merchant was one of the few writers with enough balls to get into it with them because he asked them one time, well, Jim, how come your blocking's bad? <laughs> and so they, they kind of jabbed at each other because Jim didn't block that well, by the way. Yeah, he really – he didn't stick his nose into it. But you know what? When you get a thoroughbred, you don't make him into a plow horse. But, yes, Jim Brown has to be in the Mount Rushmore. The first black man to ever kiss a white woman on television. Yes, or in the movies, right. Absolutely. Um, people don't know all that. Um, all right, number two, and you know my number one is one A and one B, so you're already uh, disappointed. Number two, Barry Sanders. I can't look. I'm not going to argue with that. Most people have them number one or two. However, I want to point this out. You know the Lions used to take them out in goal line situations. That yeah. never happened to Emmett Smith. Well, he had no fucking O-line. Oh, yes, he did. He had Lomas Brown made a bunch oh, of pro bowlers. Kevin Glover was a pro bowler. They, Detroit had some offensive talent. They had a guy by the name of Herman Moore, the original Megatron, made the pro bowl. 
The burner, Brett Perriman from the U, had 1,000-yard seasons. I don't want it. You make it sound like the Lions had nobody else. That's not true. Not true. Not true. All right. Well, he's the most electric, dynamic, uh, shifty back, third-level vision. He checks all the boxes. He caught the ball in the backfield. He was uh, fun to watch, man. I'll tell you, he was unbelievable oh. on a horrible team with a horrible franchise. Well, they made the playoffs like three, four times in his first six. They actually he made the NFC Championship. They had to play the Cowboys on – like got blown out. I'm like, come on, man. Coach. They made the playoffs one time. No, they did. Okay, in 91, they made the NFC Championship game, got blown out by an all-time great Redskins squad. Scott Mitchell was the quarterback. Uh, Well, for that year, it was Eric Kramer. Then in 93, 94, 95, they actually kind of made the playoffs. Wayne Fonts is underrated. Waxed by the Cowboys. Okay, well, Wayne Fonts. Let's give Wayne Fonts some credit. Okay, he made the playoffs more than once. By the way, yeah, Herman Moore, yeah, Scott Mitchell, they had a decent Brett team. Perriman. Yeah, they did. Perriman. By the way, uh, in 1988, Barry Sanders' last year at Oklahoma State was his junior year. In in a 11 game or 12 game season, he had almost 2,700 rushing yards. He was literally averaging almost 275 yards per game and a funny story so in 1987 that was thurman thomas's last year he's an all-american had a great year but they're playing oklahoma and barry switzer knew the deal barry switzer got into a defensive meeting and he said hey guys hey boys um thurman thomas is really really good he's great don't you dare injure him they're like why because the kid behind him probably better so whatever we do we are not going to injure thurman thomas they knew about the legend of Barry Sanders. He was great, man. I got I mean, he was a freak. We haven't seen many think many many guys like him. So I got I got to admit too. Here we go. Do do do. Number one A and one B. I'm putting it on the ticker for the audience. I okay. One's Peyton. Eric Dickerson. One A. Walter Payton. One B. No, I can't argue this. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know Eric Dickerson. I considered him my Jerry Curl non-Korean brother. I had a poster of him up in my room. And, you know, at his best, it was a sad day. I've told this story. Halloween night, 1987. I'm watching ESPN. And they said, all right, big update from L.A. Looks like Eric Dickerson's on the move. And they switch home going into LAX. I was like, why is he going to LAX on, like, a Tuesday? What's going on here? He got traded to the Indianapolis Colts, and my childhood ended. Because I yep. knew at that point, pro sports is a business. And I every year, it seemed like since 1984, when he broke the rushing record for a single season, he had contract issues with the Rams. And it, it should have been different. He should have been a 12-year 12, 12 Ram with over 20,000 yards rushing and maybe a Super Bowl or two, because they ended up getting Jim Everett in 86. And I even think that, while Eric wanted the money, he even regrets how his career played out because it was never quite the same. But at his best, Jason, there's never been a guy at that size that had the vision, the speed, the feet, the ability to get his pads low. He had a good pad level for a tall guy. Run you over. Run you over. And he and for his size, again, in short areas, he can make you miss. And he early in his career, he caught the ball pretty well. 
Yeah, I've never when, seen anybody like him. But when you talk about Walter Payton, the Walter most Jackson might have been that guy, but yeah. he didn't play long enough to bump him ahead. You know, and Eric Dickerson is that is a player that other players from that era look at and talk about with awe. Like him and Lawrence Taylor, the two yes. two guys are like, wow, those those two guys were different. Now, Walter Payton may have been the most complete football player ever as a running back. Might have the been. guy was actually the backup quarterback, the third-string emergency quarterback, and he could throw the ball. So Walter Payton was one of the toughest, roughest athletic guys, the way he could break tackles at that size. Great halfback option guy. You know it's uh, very similar. You know it's very similar to Walter Payton is, is Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jared Payton wanted to agree, but he was not allowed to because he likes to work in Chicago. Uh, by the way, I think Justin feels more like Neil Anderson, more more shifty, a little, little faster. You know, for the first eight, nine years till Jimbo Covert, I don't think Peyton had a Pro Bowl offensive lineman in front of him until Jimbo Covert was a Hall of Famer, great player. So I can't argue with, with, with that. Dickerson, he should have been a Ram his whole career. I actually went to that game in 89, Coach. It was my senior year of high school. The Colts come to the Anaheim to play the Rams. It was a big, bittersweet moment for him to see him walking out. And I remember after the game, this is what I hated about the fans. So Dickerson's going back. We had beat them. Henry Ellard had a monster game. And he's going back into the tunnel or the dugout towards the locker room. And a group of Ram fans, they were all pissed off at him. They threw a bunch of Monopoly money at him. I'm thinking, wait a minute. We as Ram fans bitch and moan about this cheap ownership of Georgia Frontieri. Dickerson's trying to get everyone paid and make this the best organization because the Niners with the Bartolo were spending all sorts of money. It was almost not a fair. I'm like, no, no, we should be praising Eric Dickerson, not mocking. Oh, by the way, one last thing. Coach, I know you agree with me. You're a Ram fan back in that day. Can we put can we put old Henry Ellard in the Hall of Fame? I 1,000% agree. I think he was top five in every statistical category. Right. He retired. He was unbelievable. Jim Jim Everett had him, Flipper Anderson, and Ron Brown to blow the top off. And people don't realize how good that team was. Uh, Robert Del Pino was a running back. Greg uh, Bell. Yeah, oh, get, don't forget Pete Holohan. Team. There was a lot of guys on that team that I was just waiting for them to beat the fucking Niners in the playoffs. They never could get it done. Yeah, because the Niners were great. But Henry Eller, this is what I loved about Henry. He was not a big guy. But you're right. The role that he played, because Norv Turner actually was part of that staff, he had to play the Michael Irvin role. So a lot of the stuff Michael did, um, Henry had to do at his size. And he ran every route, the bang eight, the comeback, the dig. Flipper was the guy that ran a lot of the go routes, right? But Henry Ellard, when he retired, or like you said, statistically, his name is right up there. Also, early in his career, he was a great punt returner. Yes, he was. He was an absolute game breaker. And then when he got a little bit older, Norv Turner ended up matriculating from Dallas, got the Redskin job. Coach, as an older guy, he had a couple thousand yard seasons with the Redskins. I know. So he had peak consist peak. Uh, yeah, yeah, the peak was really good. He battled Jerry Rice statistically for about five years, won his share of games, and he had longevity. Give that man his gold jacket, Henry. We are looking out for you here. Hey. Even though there's disrespect to Edron James, we are looking out for you, Henry. God dog. Yeah. Before you get out of here, 
Yeah. Greatest athlete of all time. Athlete, period. I don't care what sport he is. I don't care what he is. Well, Bo Jackson's on that list because he could have played anything. He could have been a sprinter. Uh, basketball, maybe. I, I mean, again, but we're talking about athleticism. I mean, look, first of all, any decathlete, but we're talking about the ability to play different sports, right? Is that what you're saying? Or just athletic ability? Yeah, it's the greatest athlete you've ever witnessed. Like, let me ask you this, because, I, you know, I just mentioned the grandpa thing, striking out Babe Ruth, and he couldn't strike me out in wiffle ball. Let me – does Jim Thorpe not get enough credit, though? No, he doesn't. But, again, are we talking – but there's not a lot of footage. That's 1800s. The, I mean, right. I mean, you know, like, do I really put John L. Sullivan as a top five heavyweight? I, I, I find I it hard to to think that Jim you know, Thorpe was going to fucking walk um, – I, I, I find it hard to believe that Jim Thorpe was going to fucking uh, outrun Bo Jackson. Right. I mean, look, I remember one time Burt Randolph Sugar. God bless his soul. I love Burt. We got along. He got angry at me one time because he said, because I said that Jerry Rice was the greatest receiver ever. And he says, no, I think it's Don Hudson. I said, Don Hudson played against a white, bunch of white guys. They ran one pattern. And they played like an oblong football. Yeah, it's like Belitnikov and Largy. Right. I mean, they were great in their era. Yeah, I mean, so I just look at it like Bo Jackson, to me, set the standard. Because, look, him and Dion were both incredibly fast, except Bo was a lot thicker, bigger, stronger, and probably meaner. There's a, there's a, you know, Florida State played Auburn in 85, and Dion talks about this. There was a toss pitch to Bo, and Bo sees the seam. And Dion came in, and Dion says, I, look, I felt like a little child because Bo just put his hand out right on his face and said, Dion, excuse me. Just straight on him like a rag doll. And Dion said it's the most embarrassing thing he's ever been through. He laughs about it. That he was the difference between those two, though. Right, the power. And also in baseball, Bo Jackson was, was actually a little bit underdeveloped, but his ability to get better as quickly as he did and to hit for power. I mean, he could hit the ball 500 feet. His throwing arm was an absolute cannon when he threw out Harold he Reynolds. Yes, but like even better. He had like a probably like a Clemente level arm. And the yeah. way he threw out Harold Reynolds from the warning track at the Kingdome to, to basically save the game is one of the most incredible plays ever. He'd run up the wall. So it was unbelievable. That Monday night game against Seattle. Where he really like the way he left Kenny easily in the dust, who had the angle for about half a second. So I would say it's Bo Jackson. There'll never be a guy like him. Hey, the greatest new pitcher that I'm gonna get blown up and I'm gonna go around speaking to all these enabled fucking shitbird kids. This is the pitcher. We're gonna show all these entitled fucks. I'm gonna show this pitcher to every single human. Ultimate sacrifice, you fucking selfish bastards. Football IQ matters, and I talk about this a lot. I don't care what your grade point average is. I don't care if you graduate magna cum laude or as the valedictorian. Jimmy Johnson once said it, don't ever let me draft a dumb player. Jarek McKinnon, you are a football mastermind because sometimes time matters more than yardage or points. And when I was with you, when he slid down, I told Coach Jay, game's over. That guy just sealed it. I said, that's a great play. And I was great like, play. I hope they fumble and then fucking Eagles get the ball back. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, yeah, that's a whole different thing.
but that 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 to me you have to have situational awareness and as you and matt talked about you got to be unselfish hey, this unselfish. guy right here the 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 fix was on oh he got the game ball george toma got the game ball from andy reed secret ceremony there's a sod of grass with the football on it hey <laughs> hey it's been a hell of a four great guests you ended it with a bang uh i gotta i'm gonna drop the mic though uh one of the greatest athletes where no one wants to talk about. Um, I'm going to say it, and I'm going to just get the fuck out of Dodge. Uh, go eat your Wheaties, Bruce Jenner. She was, or he was. It was. I don't know what it was, but God damn it, I can't ever eat Wheaties again. I call them made-up humans now, and he fucked me for Hold life. On. Hold on. Is it Wheaties or she-tees? got to change uh, that. got to change that. We-he? I don't know. <laughs> Hey, man, I appreciate you, man, and uh, we'll see you uh, soon. And Edron James, top 20. Hey, before you get out of here, <laughs> who do you throw in? You throw in Edron James. I get what? it. Who else? Larry Zonka? <laughs> Zonka was more of a fullback. Um, I know. I know. I have to this. Right now, who's playing? Do you throw anybody in there? Derrick Henry, Eddie George said Henry, Eddie George. Look, Henry has to be given some some Henry is an app. He is 80% of that offense, coach. He has to be top 20 by now or threatening, don't you think? Eddie George has him in his top five. Well, Eddie wants to be remain popular in Tennessee. He's a, he's a good mean, Tennessee. That's a tough one. <laughs> I, I said, Eddie, there's no way. I was talking to Eddie about it the other day. I'm like, there's no way. Uh, Curtis Martin, I think, is a guy we could talk about. Um, there's a couple guys out there, man, but I don't know. Durability, longevity, yeah. being able to do multifaceted, pound the rock, yards after first contact is a huge one for me. I don't know. Yeah, and, and look, the one thing with Derrick Henry, he doesn't get that involved in the pass game, which almost seems to be a prerequisite for today's football. But again, the style of play with Vrabel, it's ground and pound. Hector said Lamar Jackson. <laughs> uh, Jalen Hurts will be in there soon. Oh, anyway. Hey, it's well, all by the way, the guy, Ricky Waters. Ricky Waters. Look really? At over Ricky Williams? He's a better all-around back. Better in the pass game. I, look, Notre, I hate Notre Dame guys, but Ricky Waters could play. He could play. He was really good. Look at his overall numbers. He was hey. a great all-around back. Hey, another receiver Hall of Fame snub, Art Monk. No, no, Art Monk's in the Hall of Fame. Is he? He didn't make first ballot, and it bothered him for a while, but he made it. Yes, greatest hook route runner I've ever seen. I'm talking about – I'm thinking about the guy that bits about uh, – that got in last year for the Cowboys. Drew uh, Pearson. Drew Pearson. Uh, he got in. I didn't know Art got in. Yeah, Art did get in. Art got in. Art got in. Absolutely. Yeah. Art got in. You're gonna you're gonna probably want Keenan McCardell in next, but shut never said <laughs> Keenan McCardell. <laughs> hey, pride of UNLV, twelfth round draft choice. Hey, you got, you got his teammate at my house that other night. Oh, did he? That's good. He's a coach now. He's, he's a head coach at LA Southwest now. He yeah. he teamed with Randall, Shook Knight, Keenan McCardell, the Maluk brothers. They all were at UNLV then. Yeah, a lot of things there. But by the way, also. Uh, we want to talk about a receiver that should be in the Hall of Fame, and I think he's up for induction now. Steve Smith better make it. He better make it. Does Chad Johnson earn it? 
you know what? I think he falls just short. The ending of his career is going to hurt him. Harold Carmichael? He made it. He made it a couple years ago. Way too late, by the way. The original Megatron. What about uh, the greatest Miami player that has been the biggest disappointment? Who is he? You mean from the University of Miami? Winslow. Come on, without question, it's Winslow. Well, well, that's, but he also made a few Pro Bowls. Look, he wasn't a complete bust, but he was crazy. I heard stories about him at Miami. We'll get into it in a private discussion. He had some habits that were very odd. Yeah, that's very what odd. Yeah. But anyway, Coach. All right, man. I appreciate you. I can't uh, wait to see you again. We'll play some poker soon. All right, brother. Talk to you. Have a great weekend. Appreciate everybody, man. We're right here at 9 o'clock on the West Coast. Join me tomorrow morning for Fearless Friday. Uh, another action-packed day. We've had a hell of a week, a couple weeks in a row. Appreciate you guys pounding the like button, hitting the button, subscribe, become a member. And uh, much love to everybody. Appreciate you guys. Hope you get your fix in every morning right here on the Coach JB Show. I will see you tomorrow. Peace.